Diane. Duncan and both come correct. Yeah, well, David Lynch has his own his own coffee. Have you have you never had Lynch coffee? I have not, but now I'm going to. You can buy it on Amazon. Sorry, you should check it out. It's very, very, very good. It'll put <laughs> some pep in your step. That, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, of yeah. course, the voice of David Lynch, uh, director. Of all this year, Twin Peaks were watching Duncan, uh, well, and it tells like it's, it's it's pretty fucking obvious. Um, you know what the thing is, Bo? Right? Let's let's say let's give let's give a bit of info out there to, to the listeners. So, as and when this episode drops, Twin Peaks will be finished. The Returnsies is yes. gone. Yes, um, the last it, episode airs tonight. Yes, that's right. Double episode, and me and Bo are playing a little game of catch up. But I will tell you what. Now, I got as far as episode eight, and I said, I'm watching no more. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go through them as and when we record these episodes. And you know that I was speaking very highly of those first eight episodes. I like, Yeah, when, they're great. Back then, was, see, the rewatch has made me love them even more. Like, I, I've, I've just, like, ten minutes before we started recording, finished episode number six. And I'm going to say... And we we may get some heat for this, Bo. I'm going to say Twin Peaks could be, could be, and I know Game of Thrones was amazing, Twin Peaks could be the TV event of the year. I, I just, I'm floored by its weirdness, but how captivated I am by every single thing that's on the screen. I mean everything. I'm looking. I'm looking into to what's in the background. Who's this character? And like episode five that we're going to be talking about first could literally be called "And Welcome to Twin Peaks Blank" because <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's in my notes a bunch. Yeah, it's it's incredible the amount of of actors that make small cameo appearances. They will be back. I have no doubt. Um, in episode five, but in particular, the tone, the content, the fact that it can be just like the first run of Twin Peaks, goofy, serious, sad, emotional, heartbreaking, terrifying, all in 50 minutes. (laughs) There's no show that crafts a narrative like that. And whilst I'm out of the game, all I've heard since episode eight, since I cut out there, on, on the claim that episode 8 could be potentially one of the greatest episodes of TV ever, all I've heard is the show just keeps getting better. Um, and I, can't, I cannot wait to get through this, but part of me, like it was when we went through the original Rumble, part of me is sad to know that when we are done, we're done. And I know Lynch has hinted, and Kyle McLaughlin has hinted, that maybe there might be some urge to revisit Twin Peaks somewhere down the line. I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't think it's going to be like X-Files where they're like, right, people kind of like that. Let's do more. Um, I don't think we're going to get that. And if this like, if this is a swan song, series of TV, which cements Lynch's legacy as not only 
kind of reinventing 90s television and subsequently all TV afterwards. If this is the, the swan song to prove that it wasn't a fluke, wasn't a once-off, um, and that he is easily one of the most talented, influential, and completely individual of purpose uh, and mindset and narrative directors to ever exist on the planet, then um, then Twin Peaks is, uh, season three is that, is that exclamation mark, is that swan song, and I couldn't be any happier about it, but honestly, I'm so excited to, to power on and um, talk about two, again, fucking incredible episodes of television on this, this episode here. It's nuts. Uh, indeed, Duncan. I I agree. I I think as much as I enjoyed Game of Thrones this year, yeah, uh, I am enjoying Twin Peaks way more. It has oh, been, yes. it has been an act of pure will to stop at episode eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know we've got one more recording, and then we'll be <laughs> caught up, and then it'll be time for episodes nine and ten. I can't wait. <laughs> I know. I, I know. And it's it. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be incredibly fun. Uh, the the yeah. I, this show is just one of the best shows that's ever been. And yeah. and I and I mean season three in particular. I mean the whole run. You know that. All right. So that's sort of the catch twenty two. Yeah. Is you need to have seen. At the very least, the first season and a half of Twin Peaks and watched Firewalk with me for this to land at all. Yeah, yeah. But if you've done that legwork, uh, even if you haven't, I'm sure there's plenty to, you know, <laughs> suss out in these episodes. But it just, I mean, the mythology is so deep at this point. Um I'd go one step further, Bo. I'd say that you actually, to to do full credit to Twin Peaks Season 3, you need to watch Lynch's back catalogue of movies as well. (laughs) I think he's he's referencing so much. There there is a character (laughs) that appears in Episode 6 that might as well be called Younger Frank Booth. Um, You know, it is incredible. And the fact that, you know... Diane's identity is finally revealed in this episode, uh, one of these episodes, and when it when it happens, we you know we don't really get much in the way of any sizable dialogue, but that feels like one of the most important things that's ever happened in TV. Yeah, you'll just like snapshot five second clip. Who else can command television like that? And I, I can't think of anyone. I can't think of anyone. Well, and to pull it off, because when you first see Diane, it's like, holy shit, that's great. And then once you get into the next episode, when there's a lot more Diane. Yeah. And her character is fantastic. Brilliant. You know, it's a stroke of genius. Um, it's just, I, I genuinely, it's like, it's almost as if, it's almost as if Twin Peaks is this particular season is Lynch tying everything up. And I don't think I'm the first one to say this, but it feels like Lynch is creating almost like his dark tower, so to speak, through Twin Peaks, that it connects all of his work in various different facets or connections with characters that feel recognisable from some of the movies he's done, stories that feel like they have come from his movies that have been adapted out and twisted in different directions. Um, 
it's and and I mean we're obviously we're flinging all this at Lynch. Mark Frost is the man that's penning a lot of this year. Oh yeah, Most yeah, yeah. No shade thrown he, at that guy. He is, he is, he is weaving such a rich tapestry of television that I just I'm floored by how good it is. Like going back through it, and I, I think that's the exciting part for me is I think I will finish Twin Peaks with you for the show as soon as it drops on Blu-ray. I'll buy it, obviously. And then I am going to set, I've already set myself that I'm going to watch it as one movie. I'm going to watch it as an 18 hour, one sitting movie to experience exactly what Lynch said when he said, I'm making an 18 hour movie. And I, I can't wait to do it because I think it's, it's going to be a completely different viewing again. I just, I just think it's incredible. I, I really, really do. And I feel sorry for the people that bailed pretty quick um on season three just because we're like oh well it's you know it's more quirky weirdness that i can't get behind and you know uh, i kind of thought we'd do something else and you know i feel sorry for these people because you in fact in part of me doesn't feel sorry for them because you were never really invested in the story if you if you bailed so quickly into season three um but i i feel sorry for those that haven't had the opportunity to sit down you know those that maybe didn't want to pull the trigger because season two left such a bad taste in their mouth. They are missing some of the greatest television that's ever existed. So yeah, I, I can see, I can already see two, three years from now, the, the, you know, the, the tentacles of this show, very Lovecraftian, the tentacles of this show weaving their way into what will be the next 10, 20 years of television. Yeah. It, uh, right. It, I, as you said, Duncan, this is David Lynch and Mark Frost strolling back into town <laughs> after being out on the range for a while and finding <laughs> a bunch of young gunslingers have come into television, shooting up the place, yeehaw, getting in bar brawls and whatnot, <laughs> fighting for who's the best. <laughs> come on, Mark. We're going to clean up this town. David Lynch is a cowboy. Oh, could there be anything more adorable? Um, Draw! No, <laughs> not your gun. Just whatever you're thinking. So, so good. So good. Uh, all right, enough of blowing Twin Peaks. We're going to get into that because we got two episodes full of goodness. Oh, um, did we introduce the show? This is Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaks. He's probably not. Uh, if we didn't, then I, I, I get the feeling that they will know what we're here to talk about uh, from the last 10 minutes. Well, <laughs> which is probably for the best, because most shows you wouldn't be able to tell for about the first 45. Ooh, sick burn, Boran's though. It's a self-burn. <laughs> get out the Neosporin. Uh, so, uh, before we launch into that, uh, myself... Bo, uh, I'm the uh, one of the your hosts, and with me as always one Duncan McLeish, uh, who you may remember from uh, such podcasts as the podcast under the stairs, <laughs> and this one. Uh, so uh, we like to begin the show by talking about what we've been watching, and uh, Duncan, I'm very curious. It's you've been very television heavy recently, uh -huh. so this week, what uh, what in the world have you been watching? It's interesting because I haven't really slowed down that that, that, that kind of 
push for for television. Um, I have watched in its entirety already this weekend, even though it only dropped on Friday, season three of Narcos, uh, the Netflix um, cartel based on a true story, based on real events, um, kind of crime drama TV show. I was a big fan of season one and two, uh, particularly season two, where I thought they really found their, their groove. Um, and it also naturally closed out part of that story, and they've, they've moved on away from the, the, the kind of Escobar years into the Cali cartel years. And it's a great show. It's a really, really, really good show. And I believe they have at least one more left to do it in their commitment for, for Netflix. But, I mean, it's grounded in reality, but, you know, they openly acknowledge it's sensationalised to within an inch of its life. But they don't have to sensationalise it too much because it uh, turns out the cartel did a lot of bad things to a lot of people. So... So you have that as a backdrop, you don't really need much more except a lot of torture, a lot of killing and a lot of, a lot of war, which is kind of rooted in the backdrop of the show. What, what they've done really well, I think, in season three is they've realised that that kind of is the crux of where they're going where, or where the, the audience wants them to go. Uh, so with the removal of a certain character who wasn't around in this time frame, uh, they've kind of focused double down on the kind of police procedural aspect of it and the actual cartel themselves and that story is far more interesting um, in my mind anyway and yeah season three was super good so um, looking forward to them closing out season four and yeah I think I genuinely I don't know why I'm, I'm sounding kind of remotely surprised to be honest with you that show is it's not really breaking the bank for Netflix is not costing like huge huge sums of money uh, and it, it's not really necessarily reinventing the wheel either it's just really good really entertaining captivating television so yeah that's what I've been checking out what about yourself Boran still I uh I am watched I've been watching a bunch of stuff but the, the one that's most interesting is uh I I watched Big Tits Zombie uh which <laughs> take is... a second right whoop whoop Bring it back. Yeah, yeah. You watched what? Uh, the film is called Big Tits Zombie, Duncan. Big I think tits. you heard me. Big Big Tits Zombie. Yes. That's what you said. There's a, there's a movie called Big Tits Zombie. There is indeed, Duncan. Uh, <laughs> and this is what you watched? Uh, yeah, that's right. Did it have a zombie with big tits, Bo? Uh, Well, yeah, several. Uh, this oh, is... Um, <laughs> what the fuck? So this is kind of uh, part and parcel of the Noboru Gucci, uh Yoshihiro Nishimura series of movies. It's one of those uh-huh. joints. And so I'm doing an episode of Hero Hero Go Show soon where I combine that with zombie ass Toilet of the Dead. Ah, yes, that classic. Yeah, which are the... I'll get into it on the show. The titles are way more outrageous. No, that's not true. I was going to say that the titles are more outrageous than the movies themselves. The movies are ridiculous, but they're so knowingly ridiculous that even the title itself is strangely self-aware. Uh-huh. So anyway, um, yeah, those movies, like I've been watching that and like uh mutant girl squad and like, a, like obviously a close personal Facebook friend of mine, Yoshiri Nishimura, 
Uh, oh yes, yes. Um, lo- go a long way back. From, yeah, from that that time you summered in the Hamptons together. Right, a, right. Emotional story. Yeah, so I've been going through a bunch of uh, uh, that stuff, largely inspired uh, also by having recently watched Sion Sono's Tag, which is a mm-hmm. great movie uh, that people should watch. Sion Sono is a mad genius. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I've been watching a bunch of that stuff, and uh, I, I only mention that to say, hey, if, uh, if you're interested in the Japanese splatter stuff, um, just go to the IMDb page for... Yoshihiro Nishimura and just watch everything mm. it's all ridiculous but also hilarious to a certain sensibility and I the, the here's the grand realization I made recently though is this is such a logical extension of my love of Godzilla movies because that's kind of what these are in a weird way yeah uh it's just it, it's all just like hey some shit showed up and fucked up everything and now it's on the rampage and just people get caught in the middle of it and are murdered and meanwhile these kind of monster people battle each other it's that's all it is and it's kind of wonderful man they're very silly and weird like uh the special effects are are so crazily over the top like anytime someone's like man they don't make gory movies anymore it's like ah you're just looking at the wrong country they're making mm-hmm. them and they're ridiculous, and you would love them. But uh, yeah, so that's that's what I've been watching. But but <laughs> all right. But of of in that vein, uh, Sion Seno's tag is legitimately the one that I think everyone should watch. That's a great movie. It's on Netflix in the U.S. right now, and like oh, Sion Sono directed it last year, maybe this year. You know, he's like Miike in that he he directs like three, four, five movies a year sometimes. So it's just like, well, you know, I'll never watch everything Sion Sono ever did. Mostly because some of them are like adaptations of manga and stuff that I just don't give a shit about. But, um, you know, every now and again, you you get a tag or a 13 assassins in that mix. And that's always wonderful. Uh, oh. I, I've never seen I've never seen tag. It's on the list as well, and I saw you were you were posting quite a lot about it in the last week on the Hero Hero Go Show page. So I will need to as soon as I clear up some time. <laughs> he says, "Can I have joking?" Because he knows he has no time. Um, as soon as I catch up with what I need to catch up with, um, and uh, relieve myself of a bit of time, but I will uh, I will sit down and I will watch that movie. Yeah, it's. Re- I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. It's. For it being weirdly exploitative, it's also crazily feminist. And it's a really interesting blend of things. But anyway, um, uh, something else I was going to tell you about that. Uh, oh, yeah. So I was on uh, the uh, B for Boz show uh, yes. doing a recording for that and talking a lot about Asian horror, which is why I'm going on about it, because it's just fresh on the mind. Been a lot of it of late. Um, but I had this revelation as I, I was talking to him, that I think, and go with me on this, mm-hmm. uh, that Miike is sort of the Japanese Scorsese. Right. It's, all right, because Scorsese <laughs> is one of those dudes who jumps from, you know, he's done horror movies, he's done musicals, he's done the gangster movies, he's done romances, He's all over the place. Yeah, he's done kids' movies. He did Hugo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Much like Miike. And I would argue that both of them have a very auteur sensibility that you can... 
most of the time, if you're watching a Miike movie, you kind of know you're watching a Miike movie. Yeah. For one reason or another. Usually it's because there's somebody who's been blinded and had their arms removed. Uh, <laughs> delivering exposition. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's Miike. Um, but I think Miike is even a superior director than Scorsese because oh, he is... Because he is doing that kind of wildly different genre work, but he's doing five times as much of it. And about once every two years, he makes something that I would argue is as good as The Departed. Like, if you ask me if I want to watch The Departed or 13 Assassins... I'm gonna oh, watch thirteen. Yeah. I'm gonna watch yeah, thirteen assassins. assassins. Yeah, yeah, it's thirteen assassins. Or, or if you want to ask me if I want to watch, what was the uh, the asylum one he did? What, what the hell was that called? Shutter Island. Shut, Shutter Isle or Ichi the Killer. Fuck. Mm, I, I, I would I would probably go with Shutter Island. <laughs> I don't know, man. That Ichi the Killer yeah. is all right. I don't know if you ever seen it. Ichi the Killer is really good, but I, I I was kind of with you up until you. But th- there is a difference between saying that because a director does a high volume of of movies and a percentage of them are really, really, really good to compare that to a director that maybe picks his projects. Yeah, it certainly has been typecast for certain projects. I mean, there's no getting away from that. Scorsese certainly built up his uh, a great bulk of his reputation working within a certain pool of actors working on a certain style of movies um that being said i think i think you know if you look at hits compared to you know duds ratio scorsese is is winning sure i think Sure, and, and I know what but, you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I, part of me wants to stick up for Miki because there is a director who genuinely, and I'm not saying that Scorsese doesn't love what he's doing, but Miki is putting out approximately three movies a year and has been doing that since circa 96, right? So do the math here, ladies and gents. The guy is a workhorse um, and he is all over the place. But I think if we were talking about movies that will... Well, you know, if you if you had, if I, if I was in a position where I wanted to talk about movies that stick every single aspect, like between acting, score, cinematography, um, script, I think when you come down to that sort of level, I think that's where Scorsese tends to be a bit better. I think you can get away with a lot in a Mickey movie for having maybe someone that doesn't necessarily pull their weight. Um, because he has at times such an eclectic tone that you can pass it off as being slightly goofy and it'll still work. Um, you can't really say the same for a, a Scorsese movie. I have not seen his most recent one, and I heard that it was it was good but not great, and uh, that was silenced. But um, I think of his you know his catalogue of work, whether it's something like The Wolf of Wall Street, which admittedly I think is half an hour too long. Um, but if I go back to things like, you know, Shutter Island, um, Goodfellas, like Goodfellas alone, um, or something like, uh, you know, Casino, or the fact he's going to be doing the... Like one of the things I can't wait for next year is The Irishman, uh, which is a Netflix movie, 
of all places to see Scorsese go, but the cast for that is just everything I want to see from a Scorsese movie. So whilst I, I in principle don't necessarily fully disagree, I, 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 I find the the argument slightly, slightly not fair, because yeah, I, I think that there is a, there is a, there is a lot that can be said for a director who takes his time and picks a project, as opposed to one that just does projects. Very much like an actor who just doesn't constantly work on things, um, and then you know occasionally has a great performance, but then undermines that with everything else he does by acting in shit. Um, then there is for the actor that picks and chooses wisely his roles. Um, although in saying that, I have been that's my my biggest criticism with Tom Hanks is that at the beginning he felt like a really interesting actor, and then he just became part of the machine, the Oscar machine. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of talking myself out of the argument. I still don't think Mickey is as good a director as Scorsese. However, I would say that given any day you could put down a Mickey movie and a Scorsese movie, and I wouldn't just instinctively be able to pick up one over the other straight away. Um, very few times would I be able to do that. I'd have to put a bit of thought on it, but... Um, and there's not many directors that you could put down against Scorsese and that would give me some thought. Well, I'm glad I gave you some uh, some grist for the mill there, Duncan. And I, so I an aneurysm is what you've given me, Bo. Thanks. I, um, I stand by. I, I like. I, I I think Miike is just. Uh, yes, he's absolutely a journeyman director and does some stuff just because he uh, he can't stop working. Apparently, he's made some <laughs> deal with the devil. <laughs> where it's like you will direct one amazing movie every year you're alive, but the first day you're not directing something, your soul is mine. <laughs> and so Miike is just like, what do you got? Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney? I'm on it. I'm there. <laughs> when does it's it's like, I, I believe the, the, the footnote to Miike's life will be that he will die directing a movie. I, I don't yeah. I, Doubt that for one second, and that you know you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I don't necessarily think Makey's had a great movie every year, though. Um, well, I think like Thirteen Assassins average. was the was the was a fantastic movie, but I think if memory serves, it's like his prior three or four projects over the course of about two or three years had not been great. Um, Did you see Yakuza Apocalypse? Yeah, I thought that was up. pretty good. It's pretty fun, though. That, yeah. I'll give it that way. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a great movie. I think it's a fun movie, though, uh, which is what it's aiming for. He does a lot of manga adaptations, which kind of helps with the outlandishness of what he does. And what, what I'm saying is you can mask a lot in that, but I don't necessarily think that necessarily denotes um, great... I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Um, I, I think... I think if you were to sit down and do a top 10 directors of all time, I think Scorsese would make my list before Mickey. All right. I, I'm willing to accept that, but I, I'm also, like I said, I've been watching a lot lately. And, and, as, <laughs> and, the, and the deeper I go, much like Twin Peaks, the deeper I go, uh, the the more I'm like, you know what? I think like if I had seen this before I saw Goodfellas, I'm, I might have liked a better tomorrow more. <laughs> it's it's weird in that, like I think I tend to gravitate towards directors that 
feel like they have their own identity, and Mickey definitely has his own identity. There's no, there's no yeah. getting around. And and some and, movies more so than others for sure. Yeah, that's more yeah, yeah. front and center. You you can tell the films that are. Hey, I'm doing this because Japanese devil is gonna steal my soul if I stop. <laughs> yeah. And in the movies where he's like, "Let's get a little weird." Yeah, there's a mark. There's a mark difference in the ones he's actually interested in. Let's put it yeah. that way. The ones where he's like, "Yeah, this is like Thirteen Assassins." To me, I think is just generally one of the best samurai movies ever made. Like, yeah. Like, like, yeah. Legit. A hundred percent. Yeah. That the last, yeah. you know, we were talking about on the, on the recording yesterday, but the, uh, the fact that fully that movie is split so evenly and in twain mm-hmm. of here's the setup to the battle. And now here's the battle. And the battle is like, oh. the battle is about an hour long. And it's like one of the greatest hours ever shot in cinema. So. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's miraculous. Like, that's the seeing that stuff. It's like Mike belongs in that conversation with mm. with your Scorseses and your Spielbergs and and like directors who maybe not maybe aren't so culturally influential, but in terms of just sheer raw directorial fucking power. Yeah, force the, the fucking balls on the, anyway. <laughs> the fucking balls on this guy, ball. The fucking balls. Yeah. Oh man. I mean talk about balls you see like visitor q or something oh visitor q is fucking amazing and you're <laughs> yeah and you're just like man this guy the, this guy this, this fucking guy, guy here what the fuck are you he is man oh i, I love me some EK. and sono is climbing the list for me too he's another one of those dudes that's churning out three movies a year and every now and again one just pops up that's like fuck dude you were like if you only did these movies like once every three years, no one would ever stop talking about Sion Sono. Yeah. But the fact is, he does a bunch of other shit. So uh, <laughs> anyway, he's a, a, amazing. I, I'm I'm so close. I don't know if I'm going to do it today, but sometime soon, I'm going to watch Love Exposure. Have you seen that? I have not. Uh, are you aware of what this is? I have not a clue what you're on about right now. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so Love Exposure is a Sion Sono film. It's not a horror flick, really. Um, I wouldn't categorize it as such, but it's certainly bloody and weird. But it, it's about a ninja upskirt photographer. Oh, sold, sold. Who falls in love <laughs> with with a girl who thinks she's a lesbian because her father, stepfather, I don't remember which, raped her. But she is also deep into the Catholic Church. And and so the movie is ultimately about how the Catholic Church presents itself as good and wholesome but is corrupt. Whereas this upskirt photographer's pursuits seem corrupt but ultimately are, are strangely kind of wholesome. And that he is he is looking for love, so is this girl. The movie is ultimately a love story about these two people finding each other and finding true love set against the backdrop of Cien Sono having a lot of shit to say about the Catholic church. Also it's four hours long. Oh, like you've literally sold this movie to me. Like you sold it in the first sentence, really ninja upskirt is like, is like there the name game battles, for my, like up- electronic fucking game music podcast. <laughs> Ninja Upskirt is what I wanted to be yeah. called. And I mean, that's not, 
that's not a throwing the adjective on there as a goof. He is a ninja upskirt photographer mm-hmm. um, who uh, occasionally dresses in drag. Uh, it, dude, oh, what? You can't throw that in at the last minute. Sold even more. It's Dude, it's fucking amazing. I mean, it's such an, a, an investment of time. But it is, it's one of, his original cut of the movie was six hours. And the studio was like, you're out of your goddamn mind. And we've got to have a two hour movie. And Sona was like, all right, I'll give you four. (laughs) We need a two hour movie. And he was like, what's that? Two hours off six? Four you have it. There you go. All right. I can cut it to four, but that's it. There's um, a guy he's putting down the phone and saying thanks. They're like, no, no, two hours for the movie. And he's like, yep, four hours. Yeah, bye. Well, and it's kind of the reason that the movie isn't really well known because, I mean, what theater is going to carry it? Because you can't show it more than like once a day. So it it didn't get a lot of play in Japan or in the in the States, but was like a big hit on the festival circuit and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's like a fairly early Sono joint, but... Uh, again, I mean, it's it's Sono just being fucking crazy and out there, but also telling this kind of ultimately sweet story. Also, there's castration. So, Duncan. Oh, well, once again, boys, just th- <laughs> boys dropping keywords like they're hot here. Yeah, so you, everyone should watch Love Exposure at least once, uh, and I think I'm going to do that here before too long, because it's been a while, and that movie's... It like I said, man. It's a it, that's your afternoon. That's just what you do that day. But man, it's it's awfully good. Uh, speaking of awfully good, Duncan, did we talk about the Thrones finale already? Hey, we did not actually. Okay. Um, well, let, let's let, let's recap that. Not not recap it, but just very quickly. Uh, did you enjoy it? Were you satisfied? Yeah, I think they've they've put all the play, all the pieces into place that I thought they would in this season. So I've finished not on a completely unsurprising note, uh, albeit the vehicle to bring down the wall did kind of surprise me a little bit, or shouldn't have once the reveal of what was happening there with said dragon. Um, but yeah, the the they moved things. My my only complaint was that I kind of feel. Because they were told by HBO, right, you have, what, 15 episodes overall to finish the story, and they split up over two seasons. Um, I kind of felt like things were a bit rushed this season overall. But I don't think necessarily it's worked to a detriment. I'm just a bit annoyed that there wasn't 10 episodes this season, and I'm going to have to wait potentially a year and a bit. Um for you know, for more Game of Thrones, but yes, it's a show that knows its audience really, really, really well now, and it's 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 almost like the Titanic uh, minus the iceberg, and that it's it's kind of almost too big to fail now. Um, it has one direction. We all kind of roughly know where that direction is taking us, and even these surprise revelations that have dropped during the shows, for the most part, fans have been speculating about for about two, three years maybe even longer. So on some level, it's quite satisfying to see internet rumour become, you know, internet fact. But at the same time, yeah, it's left me with that. I've got I've got a quite a few theories of where I think things are going to go next season in terms of certain characters and how they will turn out or, or where they will end up. But yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was super strong. Um, any show that gives you a giant fucking ice 
zombie, dead dragon obliterating a giant fucking ice wall. I mean, how can you not love that? (laughs) You have to be dead inside not to enjoy that on TV. That is absolutely, you know, (laughs) Yeah, it's... It's a real guitar solo moment. Yeah, I, I thought the show was was real fun. I thought uh, uh, the big meeting of all these characters that haven't seen e- each other for a long time coming back together was fun. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, I mean, it was it was super entertaining. But again, I've been so into Twin Peaks lately that after it was over, uh, I, I immediately made the comparison of like I'm way more excited to watch the next episode of Twin Peaks than I am the next it's, episode of. Game I, of I think Thrones. it's. Pe- yeah, I think it's because Game of Thrones is almost it's an it's a knowable entity, if you know what I mean. You know what that shows like we've been so bashed and battered watching that show with characters spontaneous. I mean, even even although like I'll I'll give it to Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones can still swing a, a surprise knocking off of a certain character. Um like that whole fake court scene. Um, oh, that was so good too. That was yeah, but that that twist I never saw coming. <laughs> like I kind of hoped that was going to happen, like episodes ago. But you know, they they have the ability still to make me go, "Oh fuck!" You know what I mean? It, it's really good at that. But it's a noble entity. We know what the story is, and we know where it's going. Twin Peaks season three, like walking into, it, like has not went where I thought. Even by episode six, we're nowhere near where I thought we would be in this show. Like, like by episode eight, do you still actually have a clue about what we're trying to resolve here out with Agent Cooper trying to get his body back and put Bob back in the Black Lodge? You know what I mean? And if that's so, as you know, as an 18-hour story arc, if that's it, that's ballsy, you know, in itself. And it probably doesn't need 18 hours to tell it, but I don't think that's the point. I, I think what what Twin Peaks does really well is world build. And I think that's what what um, Lynch and Frost are, are excellent at, is this weaving this narrative that just doesn't feel like, you don't know where it's going from episode, from scene to scene. I don't know where the show's going. And it keeps you... Certain scenes go longer than they should, but I think that, like we've said before, I think that works to the benefit of the show because you feel absorbed and what's happening, and then we're off to the next place. So yeah, if you're going to put it down to plus, I think there's no there's no contest here really. Like Game of Thrones is a show that feels very much like where television was always heading. These big epics will always be a thing. Um, no one ever thought Twin Peaks was coming back, <laughs> and no one ever thought you could do a show like Twin Peaks again to the level of what they've done it. And that's what makes it like wholly more interesting. Um, as a whole, and that's before you start getting into the incredible acting and the incredible characters. So, yeah, it's almost unfair to put the two side by side. You know, one was definitely the most watched TV this year, and the other one is the best TV show this year. So, right, you're you're bringing a dragon to an existence fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, imagine if Bob took over that dragon, but. Oh man, that dragon would be f- so cool. He'd be <laughs> he'd be dangerous, but he oh man, that dude cool as a cucumber, sir. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Two episodes. Yeah, and these two episodes are like we've said before. Episodes three and four 
pretty fucking amazing. Episodes five and six, yeah, like the tits, man. They're big titty zombies coming out. Yeah, here. we're we're uh, building <laughs> to uh, episode eight. Yeah, oh, episode which eight. it's it's hard not to reference because every time I close my eyes, it's what I see. It's the greatest thing that's <laughs> ever happened. It's the greatest thing, and I am so excited to see. Because people are telling me the show's just like getting better every week, and I'm like, but episode eight, like, yeah, but it just keeps getting better. And I'm like, but episode eight, <laughs> it's the greatest yeah. thing I've ever seen. I don't know that I want it to get better than episode eight because if it does, my eyes are gonna pop out of my skull. <laughs> can, can we just like for for two seconds, since we're, we are like taking time getting to the inevitable thing that we have to talk about? Can we take two seconds here to talk about like the future of Duncan and Bo? As a show, like we've already oh, kind of said, we're going to commit to certain. We will come back and do the X Files. Sure, that's a given, right? And that is coming next year. But excitingly, we found it this week that speculation and rumor has solidified the fact that True Detective is coming back for season three. And I'm like, yeah, we would watch it anyway. Me and you would do that. Nick Pizzolatto was back doing the writing, so we're going to check it out. And there've been rumors flying around that the actor from um, was it Moon, Moonlight. Yeah. It's going to be, and I was like, cool. You know, it's, it's a really, really, really good movie. I like him as an actor. I've seen him in other stuff. I think he's a really good actor. But then you, then you, you, you drop, you drop a name as if it's change that's accidentally fallen out your pocket. But this change, like, is 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 like gold coins, bull. As you you cannot cannot drop the name of Jeremy Sonnier like just down as if it's nothing. As oh yeah, this guy's going to come in he's going to direct a couple of episodes the guy that you know directed blue ruin and the green room uh, like two, two movies that fucking floored me and bo <laughs> like like legitimately one of in my opinion one of the most exciting voices to come out in cinema in the last you know and that's before you get into movies like murder party which i also think is really fucking strong um yeah it, yeah know, it's his first right like as a debut you know, it's incredibly yeah, it's, good it's, it's brilliant and then he goes off and takes that actor through doing, um, you know, through doing Blue Ruin and then into like a smaller role in, in Green Room. But I mean, he's an incredible director. And this is what I was saying to you, Bo. Like I said to you that my, my, my ideal scenario, my ideal setup was that if they ever come back to do, a, you know, a True Detective season three, get some interesting directors in, give them a couple of episodes, work with them, craft what you want and then put it out. And that's, you know, that name being dropped at instantly means that I am there day one. Uh, I can't, I cannot wait. And they can, literally what I'm, I've, the, the very little that's about the show um, has already got me so excited for, for watching that. Um, and my hope this time is that people don't go into it expecting season one. I, I mean, I, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> I know it's difficult. But you can't go in expecting season one. Give it a fair shake, fair seat at the table. I think when you do that with season two, it's not as bad as people think it is. I think you give it a, a, a fair opportunity to establish itself as its own thing. Um, and we see where it goes. But that's to me, that's huge news. Um, I, I can't wait. Can't wait. So that probably will be Duncan and Bo next year as well. <laughs> yeah. And and Westworld is inevitable as well. So. Oh God, Paul! So much TV. I know. Did we I know. Become a TV podcast. Is it, that what is that what we're being pitched as now? It kind of has until all these TV shows go away again, and then we'll get back to movies. Um, 
Yeah, I like it, bull. But I mean, but the shows we talk about, damn. I mean, X Files, mm-hmm. Westworld, and True Detective. Yep. Mm. Feels good. <laughs> Feels right. Feels right. It does does feel right? I think that there there are only two podcasters capable of the the lunacy that comes with delving yourself into into deep rich worlds like me and you bo i think we're the only two crazy fuckers in the podcast world that are prepared to do that for your entertainment listeners we're pretty good all right um <laughs> which, now that we'll pat on the back. <laughs> which brings us duncan to episode five in las vegas mm-hmm. las vegas where las- <laughs> we can't go down that hole that early. Um, where there is a uh, a woman checking on the status of Dougie's murder. Yeah, she's 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 wanting she's just wanting a bit of information as why we are now more than twenty four hours after hitmen were sent to take out Dougie and there is no dead Dougie. Right, and she is uh, she's certainly worried that if she doesn't handle this Dougie situation. She's gonna be in some some hot water, Duncan. <laughs> Could you um, not that I want to jump episodes or anything like that? Could you predict what sort of hot water she was in? Because that reveal was fucking amazing, dude. It is. <laughs> I mean, we'll get to it. It's one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen <laughs> in a television show. <laughs> it's so brutal and crazy. And anyway, we'll get to it. It's. <laughs> fucking genius um can i tell you a quick story uh about one david lynch Uh uh-huh so i don't don't know if you listen to the danny gould podcast uh so this is a story he told about david lynch i'm just going to repeat it here because it's too good not to so a buddy of dana gould's was on the set of firewalk with me see it's relevant and uh so this guy was just working on the crew for for uh, Firewalk with me, and it happened to be the day of filming the monkey, which, as oh. you remember, <laughs> there is a monkey. Yeah, and Firewalk favorite. with me. Yeah, One it's, of both favorite things that's ever happened. And you'll see very quickly why I love this story. So the the this friend of Dana Gould's is staring at the monkey, and and Lynch notices it and says, "Hey, what's wrong? Haven't you ever seen a monkey?" And the guy is like, well, not in person before. And so Lynch goes, all right, everybody, take five. Get in there. And so the guy goes and plays around with the monkey while the crew just takes a break. And Lynch is like, I know. It's amazing, right? And the guy's like, yeah, it's incredible. And then finally Lynch is like, all right, back to work, everyone. And then that's it. It's just we took a five-minute monkey break. A five minute monkey break. And then back to work on Fire Walk with Me. One of the most horrifying films ever made, in my opinion. And and yes, and there's time for monkey breaks on a movie like that. That's David Lynch. I, I genuinely love it. So uh so no, I I was not surprised. I mean, it's one of those things because Lynch always surprises you, but at a certain point it's like, well, I shouldn't be surprised that I'm surprised, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like Lynch is going to surprise and shock me because he can do that. He's, he's a master at it. Um, and, and man, these episodes are chock full. 
Uh, but, oh, yes. All right, but so the hitmen are like, hey, we're outside this place. Dougie's never come out. You know, like the lights are on inside. His car's still in the driveway and whatnot. And um, so she, so the lady uh, in this va- office in Vegas hangs up on the hitmen. And then she makes a phone call to this weirdo Twin Peaks tech cell phone that is just kind of beeping in this tray. Yeah. It's once again, well, like twin, like the world of twin peaks technology just works a little bit different than everything else. And I've mentioned this before, like specifically black lodge tech, which if I was going to start up, uh, you know, uh, a tech based support company, I would call myself black lodge tech. Yep. Sounds amazing. Well, because you know I mean? the spirits travel by electricity, what better way to repair a computer? Exactly. See, Bo, Mrs. Bo would be in charge of my marketing and PR. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sometimes our techs call you. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's all weird. Everything about it is weird, right? And uh, what I love about it is it doesn't try and normalize or even begin to try and explain any of it. It's just like, oh, yeah, she phones a box. And we think this, we find out where this box eventually is later on. Um, but it's not what you think it is. Um, and there's no real explanation as to why that box is there. Um, but yeah, she phones this box. And we're like, right, that's weird. And it's like a beeper. It starts beeping. We're like, cool. And then we're like, yeah, end scene. And I'm like, right, so this feels important. And hopefully we'll come back to it. And you know what? We do come back to it. So fuck the naysayers, bro. Fuck them. Right in the bottom, Duncan. That's what I say. In the rear. (laughs) All right. Up the bum. (laughs) Of of the arse. Uh, (laughs) So so then we uh, cut to Constance, uh, the medical examiner, uh, who is working. She's the one working on this body that they found that's kind of the the husky body uh, Mm. with the, the woman's head. Yes. Which seems strange. And <laughs> which seems strange, which is strange, but yeah, <laughs> like, well, you know, watched it's... far too much Japanese horror recently. That is strange, baby. Like... Baby, it's a wild world. It's <laughs> uh... <laughs> 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 a good joke. Anyway, uh, so she says uh, the the man's body had not eaten for days, but what she does find in the stomach, Duncan, is mm-hmm. a wedding ring. Oh yes, and and uh, is there any anything maybe engraved on the wedding ring that we could maybe piece this wedding wing to someone? We could uh, piece this wedding wing to someone, Duncan. Um, Uh, I hate when someone, you know, uh, repeats back to me what I've said. I hear how ridiculous it sounds. Well, the the inscription on the wing is all about love, Duncan. True love. And I will always love you. Um, so, but the inscription on the ring is actually, uh, from, uh, Janie to Dougie Mm. or Janie E, 
Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so we know somehow or another, Dougie's wedding ring ended up in the belly of this dude, um, who we still haven't identified yet. But listeners, stay tuned. We're oh, going to yes. find out who that body belongs to. And it's great. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so then we cut to prison where Doppel Cooper is just hanging out on his bunk after hours. Just yeah. being being evil and awesome. I'm creepy. And very creepy because he predicts, like, <laughs> he, he's kind of standing there and he goes, food's coming in five seconds. And then out comes, you know, five seconds later, like, dinner time, Doppel Cooper. And <laughs> <laughs> Doppel Cooper. <laughs> I don't know why they call him that. It seems inappropriate <laughs> in the scale of the show. Uh, but so he looks at himself in the mirror and then there's a flashback to that incredibly eerie scene of Doppel Cooper and Bob laughing together in the black lodge. Yep. Oh, that scene. Uh, and, and then he's, he's, uh, he's seen at the end of twin peaks, the finale where he bashes his head off the mirror um, as well. So we're getting to see that just in case, you know, <laughs> just in case that end of season two hadn't been a, huh? sort of moment that you would have forgotten all about that watch in season three, or maybe it was for people that had never watched season one or two, at which case it's still a, huh? Seen the year. I kind of love this. So like, you know, this is kind of like a, a previously on Twin Peaks. Um, for, for for the benefit of, of nothing really other than to replay one of the creepiest moments ever. And I kind of love it. And you you get the the dialogue of you know of Cooper staring at the mirror, you know, saying you're still with me. Um, and if if there was any ambiguity, Bo, up to this point about who Doppel Cooper was, I think we are we safe to now say we know who he is. Yes, Bob. yeah, that uh, he is he is sort of the living vessel of of Bob to one degree or another. He's kind of an independent body, but Bob is certainly Bob is his co-pilot. Um Oh, and, there you go. Sounds like the name of a great 70s driving rock album. I I really like the idea that Lynch <laughs> is doing these like previously on moments yeah. and then debating in the editing room like you don't think we're over explaining it, do you? <laughs> I love I love how he takes time to over explain things that everyone's already got, but not anything else. <laughs> the rest seems pretty obvious, huh? Okay. Thanks, Mark. Uh just the two of them reinforcing like is this like should should we try to disguise this a little bit more? This seems real surface. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, that that is not what happens. But yeah, but, he's but like, what's, you're still with me. That's but, but, good. That is good. And what's cool? <laughs> like, it's good because, like, I'm like, yeah. Because, um, like, there was genuine concerns before this season started. The actor that obviously played Bob had passed on. Um, so, you know, how they would try and how they were going to address that. And I think they've addressed it in a really interesting way. But what's really interesting as well is it's not just pure, like you said, it's not just pure Bob, um, like it was with Leland Palmer. You know what I mean? Like he was literally taking control of the body to do something. This is like a, this is the, the, the doppel Cooper. This is like a doppelganger who appears to be 
Oh, it has this weird, eerie connection to... It has knowledge of things that no one should have knowledge of from just meeting people, which we find out real fucking soon. And a scene which I like to call, Oh my God, is he the architect in the Matrix? Um, which Bob is the architect in the Matrix anyway, but, you know, there's there's a bit coming up. And I think it's really... It's once again this idea of... This is in part, not knowing exactly where things are going. This is the nemesis of the show. This is our grand nemesis, is this doppelkooper. And our, our hero is, like, whilst one is maybe in prison, but is, like, the all-seeing eye eh, that knows everything, our hero, who used to be like that, is Dougie. Dougie. Dirk. Dirk. Hi. <laughs> I would so want to see Kyle McLaughlin as Dougie selling Japanese whiskey. <laughs> I don't know why. He would just drink too much. Ah! I... Hi. That means uh, yes. But I, th- I, want to, I also want to stress that I think, once again, Kyle McLaughlin as Doppelcooker, uh, Doppelcooker, Twin Cookers, um, as Doppelcooper. <laughs> It's fucking amazing. You know what I mean? His performance is incredible. I, I think he he's nailed the, the this kind of malevolent, monotone character really, really well in that he just oozes creepy badness. Um, when you think of how, you know, McLaughlin is usually portrayed in, in movies or, or in TV shows, it's generally the opposite way. It's a charming guy with a big smile that's here to give you a hearty pat in the back. You know, this is totally against typecast, and I I really feel that the world has missed the opportunity of many, many, many villainous roles that could have been played by Kel McLaughlin. But hopefully, now that we've seen it, it's like, yeah, let's have Kyle McLaughlin just be the villain in everything. Actually, just mm. Doppel Cooper. Yeah, just play yeah, I'm in this reality now. <laughs> Take that, Steven Seagal. Uh, you gonna kill me double cooper yes darling uh anyway uh all right so then we cut to a new character uh steven who's a shitty little dirt ball uh and he looks uh, just oily uh i don't like him at all duncan i don't like this guy not even a little bit. Um, so he's getting called into a prospective employer's office. Do you recognize who the employer was? Uh, I did not. Who was it? That's Mike. No shit. Football Mike. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't recognize that. Right on. Well well done, Mike. And, and Mike <laughs> in this scene is great because he's like, hey, I'm not giving you this job. I had to call you in here because... This resume is garbage, and we ask yeah. you to fill out one form, and you didn't even do that right. It's like, quite frankly, your uh, your um, your application here is fucking atrocious. <laughs> yeah, and it just kind of gives them the business, but also in in sort of a constructive criticism kind of way of like, I just wanted to bring you in here and let you know, like, no one's ever going to hire you if you do this. Yeah, and and so good on you, Mike. I'm I'm on your side with this. Um. But it, when it when and finally he just tells this little dirtball to get out of his office, 
And uh, <laughs> as he leaves, he's like, what an asshole. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the little dirt ball is played by one Caleb Landry Jones, who we both quite like actually, um, as an actor. He's been in uh, most recently. He was in um, Get Out, uh, and we we did like him in a bit of Get Out. Um, but he's also been seen in things like American Gods and uh, The Last Exorcist um, and stuff like that. He's a really, really, really good actor, but he has a tendency to play little dirt balls. Um, of which he's very fucking good at it. So it's eerie how good he is at just playing a, a real shit piece. Uh, yeah. So that's unfortunate, but he is like, yeah, he he's just immediately I hate this character, and as the show goes on, I like him less. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, but this is happening in Twin Peaks. So yeah. uh, is where this interview, obviously, with Mike giving the interview. Uh, but then we we hop over to the sheriff's department where Frank is talking to Harry on the phone mm-hmm. and it's just like, you know, Hey, they run a test, blah, blah, blah. It's just a little bit of, Hey, remember Harry's in the hospital. Yeah. And then, uh, Lucy announces that Doris, Frank's wife is coming in. And boy, is she. <laughs> and Doris is in my notes. I actually wrote Doris is a handful. I think that's probably <laughs> underselling it. Um, <laughs> I, I I had in my mental notes that she's a piece of work ball. Yeah, she is uh, very bossy, very demanding. Uh, Frank, to his credit, is cool as a cucumber. Also something I had in my notes, because I'm colloquial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, she's like, why aren't you in your office? And he's like, because I'm in this office. And just what is it and it's something about her father and there's uh, something going on with a car and it's just a lot of nagging and you know yeah i mean it's as later in the next episode we, we're given the scenario which has caused this um but Hashtag in the case of this fuck one, you chad yeah chad is just a fucking arse piece right through this entire fucking show man yeah like and we'll get into like he makes an appearance at the end of this episode, and we get a, a real good look at how fucking dirty he is as a character. Um, but essentially, what we we have is we have she's very neurotic about things. There's, there's family coming to visit. There's a leaky pipe, uh, and all she wants is a rug, which she's been told she can't have. But we have money to spend on a bucket to catch water, which could just be fixed if he just fixes it. And her dad's car as well. And you know, and to Frank's credit, Frank has the patience of a sphinx, um, and gets through the conversation and end scene. Um, and I, I I instantly feel happy about being in the marriage I am because I feel that I have dodged that bullet. Uh, once again, it's kind of explained later on why things are the way they are. But it's a weird... But it's, once again, it's, it's Twin Peaks doing what Twin Peaks does. It's just reminding you there is a sheriff's department. There's some quirky characters there. Have a little bit of time with them because there's going to be a whole lot of story which is devoid of this humour. Yeah. Uh, so we go from uh, from poor Frank and Doris, uh, who Lynch does a nice job of making you kind of hate, and then yeah. you feel terrible about hating her. Oh yes. Um. So we hop over to Dougie's, <laughs> and Janie is trying to get Sunny Jim and Dougie shit together, mm-hmm. uh, as per usual. And she lets it drop that we have $425,000 in the back. Hello! Right? 
Yeah. And she tells him, uh, she tells Dougie, like, hey, I put that money in our secret place. And she reminds him, like, you need to call and set up a time to pay off the, the folks that you owe money to. And finally, is like, you are acting really strange. <laughs> so just notice. And, right, finally, it, it's like, Dougie, have you, are you on something? Anyway, uh, finally somebody asked him, like, sir, are you on something? Uh, which is one <laughs> of my favorite moments. So, uh, but she's kind of hustling him out the door, and then it's like, where, oh, right, you don't have your fucking car, Dougie. All right, I need to take you to work, uh, and at, at some point, we got to, we got to call in some professionals. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really good. Like, this really, like, what, once again, what I love about the tone of the show is that they can make this, like, absurd scene um, feel, like, very important and quite emotional. We have this, like, scene of while she's making a fuss about things, Dougie stares at Sonny Jim in the car and he gets visibly emotional looking at them and the music in the background's all there. And he just makes eye contact with them and his eyes start to water until. Um, until uh, Naomi like kind of shakes him out of it and get in the car. Um, but what was it? I just think that I just think that's really well done. It's so it shouldn't work. It should be totally all over the place, but it, it just ties together somehow. It's a, a weird kind of televisual glue that seems to work with these scenes where things that shouldn't stick stick really well. Um, and it's never really explained except, you know, he's just looking at this kid and he gets very emotional looking at him. It's it's kind of well, awesome. Yeah, there, and, and it's kind of important to acknowledge because we're going to get into a lot of this, especially in the next couple of episodes, where we're really looking at this show uh, being about innocence and the corruption of innocence. And Which has always been, yeah. It's, it's always been that way, yeah. Absolutely right, and and so that's uh, Cooper's essential nature is an adoration and appreciation of the innocent and the weak, and yeah. an urge to protect them. Yes. No matter like what's going on in his brain, that's the core of who he is, and and so all these symbols that he sees of. Uh, like the statue and all that stuff. This is just him recognizing this is who he is. He is at, at the end of the day, he is a protector. Yes. And uh, anyway, so we're going to get into that. Oh, it's so good. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So Janie has to take Dougie to work. And then we go over to Rancho Rosa real quick, where mm-hmm. we're seeing the hitman's uh, hit men swing by to see if Dougie has emerged yet. But sure enough, his car is still there. Um, and then they take off, and then some more guys roll through. <laughs> Who might as well be called the, the nihilists from uh, <laughs> Big Lebowski. <laughs> fucking nihilists. Uh, yeah, but they kind of are, and they're just kind of cruising by, eyeing the car. Which Listening is just... to industrial death metal. <laughs> right. Which, by the way, David Lynch is a fan of. <laughs> of course he is. I mean, after listening to some of his music, he likes synthetic sounds. For I, I couldn't help but notice you finally listened to the album I told you to check out. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. I've listened to it a lot. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't... Like, how do you describe it? It's, it? It is spoken word, David Lynch, to industrial music. 
and it's yep. incredible. You it's know. Right, amazing. To have your heart split in two. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it's so good. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. So, uh, yeah, so those punks uh, swing by and uh, uh, then we cut back to Janie and Dougie and Dougie's being, you know, dropped off at work. And this is where, he, you know, we start to see him being fascinated with this statue of, of this uh, kind of gunslinger looking dude. Yeah. And well, it looks like, like a lawman of some description, like an old timey sheriff. Right. With a loafer, strangely. But, um so he's having flashbacks to, you know, this life before, uh, seemingly he's starting to recognize, uh, glimpses of himself there. And finally he, uh, starts hanging around by the elevators of this building until our good friend Gene comes comes along with, yep. uh, a too deep stack of coffee. It's like literally my hero in this show. Like any, any man that walks past me carrying eight, containers of coffee is you know is a god in my world um and quite quickly becomes a, a, a god to Dougie who very quickly realizes what's in the cup and uh, this guy becomes like a pine piper of hamlet like walking away from him as Dougie's like ah. <laughs> right like, yeah like frankenstein <laughs> coffee and just zooms right to him and uh is eyeballing the coffee and gene's like hey dougie i didn't know you were gonna be here i didn't get you any coffee and uh you know dougie's just like coffee (laughs) and he's like i can give you franks he he usually doesn't drink his and and so he finally hands it to uh handsome franks uh coffee Fucking love what's coming up after this. <laughs> it, it's great, and uh, Cooper like it takes him a second to get the the coffee together uh, in in terms of how to drink the yeah can't know. find the hole in the top of the cup and right he eventually gets it, and then we get him uh, saying, "Damn good Joe, yeah, oh uh, it's fun." Um, <laughs> so welcome to the show, Tom Sizemore. Uh, almost unrecognizable Tom Sizemore. Yeah, yeah. He is, you know, got got a bit older, but, uh, well, you know. He was for a while there addicted to heroin, I think, so. Um, <laughs> he looks good. I think, yeah. He does. He looks healthy. He does look healthy. He's noticeably aged quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, he's still, like, he makes an appearance. There are two weird connections to... Um, Michael Mann in this episode that I, I quite dig, and Tom Sizemore is one of them in the casting. Um, and later on, we'll, we'll get to the one later on. Uh, but yeah, Tom Sizemore makes uh, an appearance. And if you've watched much with Tom Sizemore in it, you know that he tends to play villains, Bo. <laughs> Not known for the many good, benevolent roles he plays. Um, and yeah, we, we might be onto something here with that because he pretty, very, very quickly tells Dougie, listen, I covered you for the thing with the guy, the big thing. You know what I mean? Don't worry. I've got your back. Right. Like, it, oh. it, there's a whole lot of, don't worry. I, I got you, Dougie. Don't worry about this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, also, this dude, uh, Darren, 
she's trying to get busy uh, with one of the girls from the meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets shut down pretty quick. That's fun. And because <laughs> that, that'll come back into play, strangely. Um, mm-hmm. So then <laughs> the guy. All right. So Gene gave Dougie Frank's coffee, which forces <laughs> Frank to drink a green tea, which is the only thing left. Yeah, it's green tea latte, and he says that he doesn't want it. He's not interested. That's not what he drinks, Bo. Can't drink this shit. I, I don't drink that. But, you know, Dougie's already... like, And, and Frank's name's written on the cup. So <laughs> as soon as Frank sees it, he's like, hey, that it was clearly my coffee. Yeah. And, and finally has to get cool with the green tea. It's just this weird, awkward moment that's really funny to me. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 once again just weird sense of humor that just kind of permeates certain scenes of this show, which is surprisingly effective, like really, really, really funny. Um, But yeah, what I love about this is he gets a green tea latte and he takes a sip and then realizes that he really likes it. And it has another couple of sips. And then the camera just lingers on him, just smiling, like kind of hugging this cup. He's so happy that he's found these drink. And you've got Tom Sizemore. The camera lingers really long. It's like Sizemore looks like he's going to say something to him. And then doesn't, and the guy's still sitting there smiling. And then it looks like he's going to say something again. Frank's still smiling. And um, it's a really, really weird scene. It's fucking hilarious, but it's just tonally strange scene that just sets up once again another incredible scene with with Dougie. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so their boss Mullins finally mm-hmm. comes in the meeting and tells Dougie to sit down, which finally somebody helps him into a chair. <laughs> and I think it's Gene. God bless him. So, uh, so Tom Sizemore is like, "Hey, I got this claim in. I've been over it, and we gotta honor it. Like, yeah. it's a hundred percent that this claim is legit." And Dougie uh, goes, "He's lying." He sees like a reflection of some green above him and once again what do we know about agent cooper what was agent cooper like very early on what did we find out was one of his kind of special gifts super sleuth agent cooper yeah also black lodge magic in infused super sleuth agent cooper he can tell when someone's lying he had an an instinctual um ability to to tell when someone was lying and as such that kicks in here and like sizemore is pissed off <laughs> like because he just told him i've covered your back for something we don't know what he has done but he's got dougie's back well dougie's been mia for a wee while and uh, dougie basically calls him out in front of everyone and the boss uh boardroom meeting table yeah and and so his boss is like uh all right th- this means over dougie get in the fuck in my office what the, let's hash this out and figure out wh- uh, what you're talking about and so uh, it's funny because uh, he also gets distracted when someone uses the word agent. Yes. Like, agent. And like, again, one of those things where pieces are starting to come together of this fractured psyche. Uh, but Mullins uh, hands Cooper a bunch of case files and Mullins tells him like, look, you've been acting real strange. And if, you don't come back with something from these case files that shows me that you want to continue to work here. This may be the end of the road for Dougie here at, uh, at lucky seven insurance. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
So we cut to him uh, outside the uh, his boss's office, and he's got to pee again, and still doesn't have that shit together. So the chick that this dude Darren was hitting on in the office is like, "Oh, Dougie, is somebody in the men's room here? I'll I'll watch the door, and you can go to the ladies' room." Uh, which isn't the case. She just don't know that Dougie is all third and doesn't know how to <laughs> go to a men's room. And so she's like, you know, Dougie, maybe if you ever ask me to do something, I might say yes. And uh, is like watching the door. And the whole time from inside, you just hear Dougie like doing his PP release, which is a combination of surprise and then pleasure. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh and it's a real dumb scene but it's just like oh this it doesn't seem like these two had an affair but she's open to the idea which yeah. is somewhat frustrating because she's a very pretty lady and dougie is clearly mentally handicapped mm-hmm. and i don't think that's right uh, no. not that mentally handicapped shouldn't date pretty people, but I think she's taking advantage. Um, yeah. so anyway, over at the, uh, silver Mustang casino, welcome to the show. Jim Belushi. Oh, Jim Belushi is so fucking awesome. Which is the other Michael Mann connection. Cause Jim Belushi plays a kind of tough man in the movie thief. He does indeed. Uh, and he's Which got a kind of love him for. Yeah. That's kind of his character here, too. because So it's the dude who gave Dougie all the money uh, being told, like, they're on their way up. And in comes Jim Belushi and another dude. And yeah, Robert Knepper. Robert Knepper. Yeah, who... And they play brothers in this. Because, like, if you see the... You see the... Like, in the credits, they, they both have the same surname, which is Mitchum. So they're, oh, okay. they're related somehow. So I'm assuming they own the casino. Right, so... <laughs> Yeah, and they come in just to beat the shit out of this dude. <laughs> the the kind of weedy guy is like, how much money did he win? And he's like, 425,000 punches him right in the fucking face. And then the guy's like, oh, oh. And he's like, yeah. He's like, There's no way that guy won that and didn't. How much did he win again? 420, right in the bread, right in the bread maker, right in the belly. <laughs> the guy goes down again. And then he gets hauled off. And then he has to look at and. Belushi's known for playing goofy comedic roles. He's kind of, he's he obviously is the kind of shit version of his brother. I think it's safe to say that. Um, we Hate Movies have made a career out of destroying um, oh, uh, Jim Belushi. Yeah. One of really the greatest bad. lines I've ever heard in my life was on We Hate Movies when they said, the only way Jim Belushi enters a pool is via cannonball. <laughs> it's one of the greatest comedic lines I've ever heard. But, but he, like his career didn't start off that way. Like I say, in Thief, he plays a really, really. Well, Thief's just an incredible movie. But alongside James Caan, he plays this incredible role as this guy who's helping this master thief. Um, do his bit. He's a bit, you know, a bit of the muscle, a bit of the, you know, kind of the street savvy and all the rest. And then we see him here, and he's legitimately scary as a character. You know, like when he get, you know, you will. You leave town and you're watching him. You're just like, oh fuck, because um, this guy could be capable of anything. Um, and like, he's not come back yet, but I've got a feeling that he's not just in one episode. I get the feeling that we're going to get more uh, Belushi somewhere down the line. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's great seeing him. It's like, once again, it's the, the after effect of what this guy said was going to happen with Doggy winning the money, is he was going to be in some serious shit. Yeah, and and so Belushi tells him, tells this boss, uh, like, you got to leave town, and don't you ever come back here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they have successfully beaten the shit out of him, got no information after accusing him of being in on it. Uh, and there's no proof of it, frankly, um, yeah. because he wasn't, you know, it's all black lodge magic. So, um, <laughs> well, she had not to know about, but it's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, they tell the security also like, Hey, you need to let us know if that motherfucker who, who won all this money ever walks back into this casino. We want to know about it. So mm-hmm. we have set that in motion. Um, or, or set that up as, uh, as a possibility. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's cut back to, uh, everyone's favorite family sitcom, uh, the drug den where, <laughs> where this scrawny kid who we last saw just eating saltines out of a torn up box, like a rat, um, <laughs> is wandering around outside <laughs> Leaving his strip. I would totally watch a show called The Drug Den. <laughs> Where it's Previously just... on The Drug Den. 119! 119! <laughs> and then it's just kid slowly getting scurvy in front of your eyes. Um... <laughs> it's light entertainment. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's he's got the loosest teeth in the West. Um... <laughs> So, uh, he's checking out this car, presumably to take it and get the fuck out of there. <laughs> but actually, he's checking under the car for the device that he saw the guys put under the car. Yeah. And then we see uh, the, you know, <laughs> Fury Road car swing around the, the corner. Fuck you, Lebowski. Yeah, right. Do <laughs> <laughs> host. Yeah, I mean, just... <laughs> host uh just cruising down the street and and so they chase this kid off a little bit and so they they get the car open and one of the dudes turns the the key in the car and it explodes big mistake yep. yeah and so not, the, not a great explosion effect either the camera really just pans away and then pans back and the car's on fire yeah it's yeah fine um <laughs> But so the kids run all, or uh, the little kid from the drug den, he takes off, and then the remaining nihilists, uh, who were not directly killed by the explosion, they just haul ass, mm-hmm. and uh, then strung out mom kind of comes to, as the uh, as the kid comes in and. You know, it's like, what's going on? And meanwhile, the kid, like, just watches this car burn in the uh, uh, the driveway across the street from him. But um, it's a pretty fun scene. You know, it's just, again, this weirdness of, I can't tell if this woman lives in this neighborhood or if this is just the house that they're squatting in currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's difficult I, to tell. I think maybe it's that. Um, so, hey, uh, welcome back, Jade. Uh, Jade is having her Jeep cleaned 
And uh, the guy at the car wash is like, hey, I found this weirdo key on, uh, under your passenger seat. And she's like, oh, this is the key that Dougie dropped. And it's got one of those, like, hey, it found return to. And so she just drops it in the, you know, nearest mailbox. And uh, and that was kind of fun to see. Like, it was, it, it was like one of those things of like, oh, my God, the, the key to you know, uh, agent Cooper's room is on its way back to Mm -hmm. twin peaks. And what will that mean when it suddenly shows up? Uh, anyway, so fun. (laughs) Um, yeah. Watch this space, ladies and gents. Yeah, it's, we'll get to it. And so, uh, then we cut over the double R and Becky, uh, rolls in. Who mm-hmm. is played by Amanda Seafried? Welcome to the show, Amanda Seafried. Very nice to see you. Yep. And so she's asking Shelly for some money. Yeah. And Norma's kind of watching all this go down. And then Shelly hands over some cash. And we don't really hear the conversation, but, you know, Becky fucks off. And Norma comes over and is like, What is going on? And they see her get in the car with little dirtball Steven. <laughs> Which I wasn't happy about. I'm like, oh, Becky, I don't even know you already. I know you're better than he is. Like uh, Laura Palmer, boo? Perhaps a, a touch, and and we will certainly see uh, a moment of that coming up. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. It's what Twin Peaks does, boo. Yeah. Corruption of innocence, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, corruption. Um, so <laughs> Hi! <laughs> How are we all doing? I am corruption. Mm. What's that little lady? Um oh god, I always love it when corruption shows up. It's you know that's thing ever. Yeah. Like that's a party that's gonna end up with a dick and an animal. <laughs> I don't know what animal or what part of the animal. Beautiful artifice, but it's good it's going in somewhere. Uh-huh. And no one's going to be happy about it. That's the irony of the situation. Yeah, yeah. You would think at least the dude uh, with with his dick in an animal orifice would be getting something out of it, but no. No, no one's getting anything out of it. Well, because corruption's there taking pictures. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. I'm putting these in my folder called the Spank Bank. (laughs) I call it tax return so my wife doesn't look. (laughs) <laughs> it's tough to explain my job to her. <laughs> oh, dear. What, what I love about this scene is that we get the we get Norma and Shelley doing the kind of hug thing that they do, which is very much old Twin Peaks, or something like reassuring and warm about seeing those two characters, kind of you know cuddling to each other and the camera on them and it just reminds you that whilst we have been away for some 20 odd years uh, some things don't change and they're kind of you know ribbing each other about having made bad choices before oh yeah but not in like a mean way it's like what you do with old friends of just you know one of those like man you know we have seen some shit kind of things yeah. and uh yeah you're right it's, it, it is really nice but then we cut to the fucking car. Steven's shitball car. Of course, it's a fucking Trans Am. 
Um, don't buy this is brilliant. <laughs> he might as well be on the run from Smokies. <laughs> Trying to get that shipment of beer across the country. Um, it's not nearly that cool, Duncan. Not nearly as cool as the Bandit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stephen, who is not the Bandit, says, no. <laughs> uh, "Like, hey, how much money did we get?" And she's like, hey, I got $72 out of Shelly. And Steven's like, I'm going to put you back. Shelly, who, by the way, we find that that... Well, did we find it here? No. We did find it here. No, well, we don't find it here. I will keep my dirty whore mouth shut. And yes, you will. Uh, <laughs> so, But he looks through the window and he sees that Norma and Shelly are still watching through the window. And he's like, well, get out of here. You can get me a handjob or something. And good Caleb Landry Jones. That's a really good Caleb Landry Jones for Rand's <laughs> It's it's a it, it feels uh totally right. Um, Welcome to the show Bo's ninth voice impression. That's right, breaking the eighth streak. Woo! I know, I know. This is a, a landmark day. Um <laughs> Thank God it's a holiday tomorrow, Duncan. I'm exhausted from all that creation. Uh <laughs> Is that the most asshole thing anyone could ever say to you, earnestly? <laughs> Don't know what's up there. <laughs> I gotta take a nap from that great idea. <laughs> That's probably what Steven does. Yeah, Steven. I came in with a plan. So, <laughs> test results. I'm gonna take a day off work. He's what he got because he, but, but you're not far off with this character. So basically, when they drive around the corner, um, he produces a vial of cocaine, which is pretty much empty. And she's like, "Did you take all that today?" I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, you know, I was at that interview. You know how my nerves get, and you know, and I got some really great feedback." Is what he says. Well, because disregarding the fact that he was basically told they fucking useless. And he focuses on the feedback. I love the fact, too, that he's like, you know, I need to calm down. And you're like, of course you turn to cocaine for that, because when I want to relax, Duncan, (laughs) and definitely not grind my teeth and dig my fingernails into my palms until they bleed. Yeah, and have my heart go like a hamster on a wheel. Right, like sting fucking. Anyway, uh, <laughs> every little bitch does this magic. I would have got tea in the Sahara, but that's me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like uh, taking cocaine to calm down is not the thing to do. Right? You're, it's you're like doing it wrong, sir. <laughs> it's like drinking bourbon to stay awake. Yeah, it does not help. Yeah. Uh, so yes, but he 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 um but he like he lets her do a line off his hand, um and then proceeds to tell her about this fantastic day they're going to have where he's going to take her out, you know he's going to he's going to splash out and take her out for dinner and compliment her and all these things with the money that she's just had to score, so not his money, so all these things he's promising her are done with other people's effort and not his. Um, and then I will, I will, 
stake my I'll stake my flag into the uh, into the ground right now and say, Bo, that anyone that sits here and says, right, well, you know, I don't know why big directors need to do television. It's not, you know, they, they should just stick to doing movies or whatever. Or anyone that for a second wants to query the the artistic prowess of a someone like a David Lynch, and you just want to slap them hard, really fucking hard in the face. You want to ask the guy beside you, how much money did Dougie win in here? Oh, 420 smack! Well, that's, that's the kind of smack you want to give them. Um, the scene that's coming up here with Amanda Seyfried in the car is nothing short of jaw-dropping. Like, yeah. possible one of the greatest like shot sequences I've seen of someone doing drugs on TV ever. Yeah, and and it's so simple, but that's kind of why it's genius. That's the yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, that's what makes it amazing. So they're playing some. They drive out of the car park. She's high. She's she's happy. Her head's tilted back. The camera points from an aerial view down onto the top of her face, and we see her eyes wide. I mean, Amanda Siegfried has got a. a she's got. She's got very animated eyes anyway. Very. Very large, lifely eyes, if you know what I mean. Just like, just incredibly. She's got black eyes, like a doll's eyes. (laughs) And when she comes at you, they roll over white. You did not compare her to the fucking shark from Jaws Bow, right? Um, but you know, she's she's a very attractive two, young lady. Two men went in the transam that day. <laughs> Only one came out. Amanda Seyfried <laughs> got the rest. <laughs> You're just ruining the greatest scene out there. <laughs> literally just, just literally whipped your dick out and slapped at his face, honestly. Uh, but she does, she's a very attractive young lady and... There's something wonderful about the kind of almost ni- almost 1950s-esque kind of doo-wop song that's playing in the background as she has her head tilted backwards and we see like just the, the pure expression of joy on her face as the drugs kick in. Um, and it's difficult at this stage not to do comparisons between Laura Palmer and Bobby. The, um, like... Sure. Caleb Landry Jones being the kind of Bobby esque character, and uh, you know Amanda Seyfried potentially is something going. To, like, are we jumping too far into this? Are we t- are we maybe taking too many liberties? Are we seeing the beginning of a potential wounded character for the Black Lodge to take action on? Uh, you know what is it about Twin Peaks that breeds these these you know these what appear to be very wholesome looking girls that are just hell bent on self destruction? What well, is it's about? built on a hellmouth. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, uh, with the fact it's built on a hellmouth. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I think it's just... I just thought this scene was incredible. I like, genuinely thought the artistic eye of it was just phenomenal. Um, and once again, to me, it's just why you know you don't question why David Lynch wants to do all 18 hours of TV here. And that's why. <laughs> like, Tell me another director that does that. No one. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean... Uh, if you're asking me to tell you this scene is not incredible, Duncan, you can just look elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to I, the wrong man, buddy. I will bid you a good day, sir. Good day. Uh, I said good day. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I love this scene too. Even with creepy Caleb Landry Jones, like mm, you got such good tits, and uh, 
And she's just like, tee you're so <laughs> naughty. Um, anyway, yeah. There, well, and let's not forget, Duncan, in the the cre- opening credits to every episode of Twin Peaks, The Returnsies, we do get the superimposed image of Laura Palmer. Like, yeah, this show that- exists in the shadow of that character. And that's, I think that's what makes the opening credits so amazing, is the fact that every episode opens to let you know that. And that's, you know, that's a deliberate choice by David Lynch. I kind of think it's, like, it's their mission statement. Um, every episode that starts, it's, it's kind of amazing. I would also say it's not the greatest thing about this episode. No. Uh, no, we're, we're, still, we're still get there. Well, there is, we're, we're getting to it. We're, we're a couple yeah. of scenes away from the moment that blew my goddamn mind, Duncan. <laughs> I, I, just want to, I just want to also say it was something that we spoke about during the original run where someone hypothesized how funny it would be if a certain character ended up being like a radio DJ. And I was like, oh, I want to talk about yeah, that. It's, and we're there. We're fine. All right. Well, we're a couple of qu- quick scenes away. So first we get uh, a quick bit of Dougie in the elevator facing the wrong way because he's facing the direction he did when he entered the elevator and then the door's closed behind him. And that's just where he looks until the elevator doors open. And then everybody is like, Dougie, will you turn around and get out of the elevator, please? And he's just, and, you know, (laughs) finally they get him out of there. And... Oh, dear. And then he wanders back over to the statue and just stands in front of it with these like manila folders in his arms, uh, mm. staring up at this statue. And then we cut back to the uh, Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department where Hawk and Andy are going <coughs> over. Right? <coughs> Sadly, haven't mentioned him. You know what? Here's the here's the true high water mark of this show. Mm hmm. Deputy Hawk, Deputy Chief Hawk now, is one of the most awesome things that has ever happened ever. Yes. Well, agreed. 100%. And yet, he is frequently not the most awesome thing about the episodes he's in. Agreed. And that is a high, high bar. Mm-hmm. When you're out hawking the hawk, <laughs> you're walking the walk. That's an old expression. <laughs> I know it's an old expression. I never thought we'd get to the stage where you would actually quote verbatim the tattoo on my chest. Right. Uh, well, uh, I wanted to lead up to it. Uh, I wanted I wanted the listeners not to be surprised by that. Um, uh Okay, so, and then Andy uh, reminds us all by asking Deputy Chief Hawk, have you found any Indians? And Hawk's like, no, I I have not. And then something, something's going to happen, Duncan. Oh. Something wonderful. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh. There's a bunch of monkeys dancing around a monolith. What's happening here? Right, around a golden shovel. Because uh, <laughs> I love 
love how they tie this. I love how they were like, remember that ridiculous opening scene we showed you where Dr. Jacoby was apparently painting shovels gold? And you were kind of like, that's weird, but it's Twin Peaks. And they were like, no, 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 no. It's important we come back to that now. Because uh, did you ever think in your wildest dreams that jo- Dr. Jacoby could become the Alex Jones of the Twin Peaks world? <laughs> I mean, did I think it? Maybe did in you a wish fever it? dream. Uh, <laughs> did you wish it, Bo? I wished it. I wishes come true. Yeah. All right. So, Doctor Jacoby, y'all. Uh, Former Doctor Jacoby. Right. Remember, he was. It's not. What do they call? Struck off. Well, he, struck- he is now calling himself Doctor Amp. Yeah, which is the coolest fucking name ever. Yeah. Literally the coolest name ever. I, you know. Oh, so amazing. And also Sounds like a Mad Max character. <laughs> it does. Let's let's also not forget, Duncan, the significance of electricity in general uh-huh. in the Twin Peaks universe. Oh yes. The fact that he's called Dr. Amp is probably not a mistake. It's no mistake here, Bo. But what's awesome is that he is dressed in a kind of full military outfit, which is kind of amazing with his bifocal bifocal glasses which are uh, still one red and one blue lens um, with this kind of ghetto tech setup where he does what you can only imagine are nightly broadcasts to the people of Twin Peaks where he has his script in front of him uh, but it's not just him doing a bit of radio bow this is he does live video streaming as well shit's off the chain man it's oh, off the chain he's got commercial drops yeah. Uh, well, all right. So he, 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 what he's invented, Duncan, <laughs> are Dr. Amp's gold-plated shit-digging shovels. <laughs> Tell me you dig yourself out of the shit of yeah, life. Because, yeah, because he starts railing against, there's toxins in the water. There's toxins in our bodies and the food. Well, you're, yeah. And when you're stuck in the shit, what's going to get you out of it? This. And it's then it's two, an infomercial. Two him. layers. Yeah, actually up to his chest, and well, not chest. He's up to his waist, and what looks like shit, bro. And he has a gold shovel, and he shovels one shovel out, and then with the magic of TV, we see him on solid ground holding a brand new, unused golden shovel. Fucking genius! For twenty nine ninety five, we see that Nadine is listening. In, you know. Oh, I was gonna get to that. All right, so we get to see people hey! that. Are- show so we get to see brother jerry is the first one who we get to see watching it on his laptop uh, out in the woods high on the mary jane and then we we switch to because you think kind of think well yeah cousin jerry probably he's he's a he's like a marijuana crop grower now he's yeah he's the sort of guy that look at him he's a bit disheveled lives off the grid you can imagine this guy probably believes in the the government come to take your guns um and of course, if there was anyone else that would watch this 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 display of lunacy, of course it's Nadine. Of course it's fucking Nadine. I'm surprised Nadine isn't like fucking like uh, on the next segment on after Doctor Amp. You know, Nadine's nutrients where she takes you through like the, the benefits of eating fucking granola and kale. You know what I mean? It's like, of course she's there. She is aged, Bo. Yeah, but she's she- aged a lot. Yeah, but 25 years ago, she looked like she was 50. Like, normal. 
<laughs> yeah, she was a bit, bit worse for wear there. Um, and yeah, but she's just like kind of feverishly watching this with a big smile on her face, and she's still rocking the eye patch because we know why she lost her eye. Um, and that ain't coming back, and she's still just like intense looking, but no sign of Big Ed. No, no, not yet. Um, so, so at the end of this, uh, give me a little more needing. Come on, it's been a while. <laughs> He's really making a lot of sense. <laughs> it's turning to friggin' frogs, gay. Join me on the after show, noodling with Nadine. <laughs> noodling with Nadine. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> all these things need to happen. <laughs> so, uh, a couple of other things that are just amazing about this. It, like, it's 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 a very funny scene. It's it's kind of silly, but it, it's really wonderful. Um, is at one point when he's kind of railing against all the toxins and he's taking a drink of something, and he's like, "Oh yeah, this is boiled water and huckleberry extract." Yeah. Uh, which is really funny to me. And also him flipping off the camera and having the other hand on his middle finger. Yeah. Is terrific. Like, yeah, it's just a scene filled with like, if this is twin peaks doing fan service, then give me more of that. Yeah. Give me all fan service all the time. Uh, it's so good. And that's kind of it, but it's just, it's one of the greatest things you ever saw. Yeah, it's like the. It's just so weird to describe how. Once again, I keep saying it. A scene like this should not work in television in 2017. <laughs> you know what I mean? It shouldn't work. But it's amazing. It's actually incredible. Um, and it breaks up the. These episodes are so well structured. Um, and this is why, because you get these moments of just crazy lynch just, just pop in. And out of nowhere, and we get to see where some of our beloved characters have ended up. Um, and some of them have ended up even more awesome than they were when we last saw them. It's just, ah, oh, love it. Absolutely love it. And there's a lot of that in this of just like, oh, that's how they, they wound up? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, you know? yeah that's amazing. Um, all right. So, uh, meanwhile, at the Pentagon... Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show, Military Brass. Uh, yeah. So Ernie Hudson is there. Ernie fucking Hudson. Welcome to the show, Ernie Hudson. I have seen things that would turn your shit white. Uh, <laughs> that's not the best thing about this scene. No. He, so he gets a report that they've received uh, the 16th hit. Mm-hmm. on the fingerprints of one Colonel Briggs. Colonel motherfucking Briggs. So he, uh, his, his colleague, assistant, whatever, Cindy, uh, he, uh, Ernie Hudson is like, you need to go investigate this. It's not going to be real, but if it is real, we have to let the FBI know. Yeah. And uh, so off she fucks to go check out this body in person. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the roadhouse. Oh yeah, we do indeed. Where we have local thug, Richard Horn. Richard Horn. Mm. Right. So where does he fit in the, the, the Horn family tree? We don't know, Bo. Yeah. Except we do know that he is 
quote unquote, and I'm quoting myself here um, from my mental notes I've taken, a complete fucking dickhead. Uh, your notes are correct, Duncan. Uh, Richard Horn is a complete fucking dickhead. <laughs> uh, as evidenced by the fact that he is just kind of staring at this booth of girls uh, that's in the next booth from him at the roadhouse. And somebody from the bar comes over and says, uh, hey, man, you need to stop smoking because Richard Horn is uh, lighting one up indoors, which is a big no-no. Say and, no, no. Yeah. And uh, uh, so Richard is like, make me. And the girls uh, in the booth are like, oh, he seems like a bad boy. <laughs> and then the bouncer is just like, well, if you're not going to stop smoking, can I have a smoke? And and so no, that's not the bouncer though. Once again, you missed a detail. Oh, this is hashtag fuck Chad. That's fuck Chad. Oh, fuck. that's fuck Chad. Chad's on the take, Bo. Shit. All right, that's one more reason why I fucking hate this guy. I can't believe I missed that. Thank you, Duncan. But man, oh fuck, Chad. So uh, Chad's Chad's up there. Chad comes across, basically tells him, you know, like if you're not gonna like go and give me a smoke, and he gives him the pack. It says, keep the pack. He walks across, opens it, and it's stuffed full of bills. And Abe Chad gives him a wink, like, all right, you're in. Yeah. So whatever, so, whatever that is. Hate Chad, hate Chad. So what I'm saying as well, the, the Richard Horn is played by Eamon Farn, um, who I've not seen much of before, but he is in a movie called Chained, which is um, directed by Jennifer Lynch. Oh, and it's sure, actually yeah. a really, really, really good movie. Uh, Baz got me. It's chained up or chained? I can't remember. I, One of the two. I think it's chained here in the States, but I, I think chained up may be an alternate title. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a really, really, really good movie. And yeah. he's incredible in that. What, what What's his name again? Uh, Eamon Farns. Eamon Farns. Yeah. Uh, is that that who everyone was getting sacrificed to in Blood Feast? <laughs> Well, the one that has the Egyptian, uh, an Egyptian feast, five thousand years in the preparation. We will sacrifice them to Amon Fars. <laughs> but all I know is, all I know is, he kind of looks like the human equivalent of Jack Skeleton. <laughs> He's this yeah. very tall, you know, thin, slight-looking guy who just kind of looks like. He's a cross between like a neurotic chihuahua and a really aggressive pit bull. I mean, you don't really quite know what he's going to do. He's just like, very... I don't know. The girl turns around and essentially asks for a light of the cigarette and he beckons her over and gets him a set and then basically like assaults her like viciously, kind of puts his arm around her, grabs her, holds her against her will while the band are playing in the background and hashtag fuck Chad does nothing. Yeah, he gets... Richard Horn gets super pervy and rapey. And to the uh, the skeletal comment, he if he were the skeleton, the animated skeleton of Robert Pattinson. Spot on. That's exactly what it looks like. So, with Robert Pattinson's hair. Yes. So, okay. I think we got him now. We, uh, we've got this guy nailed down. <laughs> all right. Theater of the mind, Duncan. Um, <laughs> and th- All right, so... Uh, back at the FBI, Tammy is uh, checking out Cooper's file, 
and seems to have come upon something with his fingerprints, which if you're a super sleuth like me, Duncan, even as you're watching it, you're like, oh, well, the fingerprints are reversed from the, the fingerprints that they took off Doppelcooper. Of course they are. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, as opposed to Agent Cooper's. And so we have her, she doesn't say that, but, you know, again, super sleuth Bo sniff that out from this scene and not when they explain it later but yeah so that's what's going on and then we cut to the uh prison where dougie uh is meeting the warden that not dougie uh, doppelkipper oh i'm sorry shit you're right uh doppel although that'd be hilarious if dougie just ended up hi <laughs> go home <laughs> Red door. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Doppel Cooper. Uh, and the warden just kind of gets one look at him and fucks off. Yeah. And Doppel Cooper uh, is handed uh, a phone. He, he's getting his private his private phone call. <laughs> um, and then, at, like everybody leaves the room to leave him alone, but they're all monitoring him from another room where they've got cameras on him and they're listening to the audio. And, and double apart knows. Oh, it just—it's so creepy because he goes, "Now that everyone's here, who should I call?" Yeah, should I call Mister Strawberry? And I'd... the warden looks visibly uh, perplexed and upset by this. Yeah. And and he says, Mr. Strawberry's not taking calls, but I know who I can call. And then he hits about a million numbers on the phone, and the place goes fucking bananas. Yeah, where, like the sirens alarms, are going. Yeah. <laughs> the alarms go off. The monitors start displaying cookery programs and shit. It's yeah. just like, and they're like, what did he do? <laughs> right. Like, he just. Fucking whipped a little Black Lodge on them. And they you ain't got no defense against a Black Lodge up in a prison. Unless you've got the support of Black Lodge tech uh, for all your IT and infrastructure needs. Black Lodge tech. This week sponsored by the, the, what was the Black Yukon Sucker Punch dildo. Yeah. Which uh, you get with every purchase of support tech. Um, of the value of eighty dollars and above. Sometimes your dildo bends back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's eight inches of whoo. Um, so it's a uh, callback to an earlier episode. It is uh, doing a little world building of our own. Um, <laughs> and and so the the one thing that Dougie does, like he's called somebody. Yeah, and he says the cow jumped over the moon. Mm. Then we cut to Argentina. Yeah, Buenos Aires. Uh huh. I want to be a part of. Oh, anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Avita. Yeah, uh, don't cry for me, Argentina. Uh huh. I want to be a part of BA Buenos Aires. Uh, <laughs> well, we go through we'll get this <laughs> lovely aerial shot of the streets of Buenos Aires, and then we just appear in the room where this pager box was from the beginning of the episode, and we're like, oh, right, so that's where it's located. It's located in Buenos Aires, which should kind of feel important because that's where Double Cooper said he'd been helping a certain David Bowie. 
Yeah. Let's dance. You know, helping him earlier on. Um, you know, south of the border, so to speak. And then we focus on the box and then the box, very much like Dougie's head, goes poop. <laughs> and there's this little kind of token thing that's left very much similar to what happened when Dougie on that earlier on in the Black Lodge. So this is some straight-up Black Lodge shit. Oh, for sure. This is 100% BLS. Yeah. <laughs> BLS. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the show is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Uh, uh, yeah, so it, it vanishes. And um, we're like, hmm, what does that mean? What does it mean, Bo? Tell us what it means. Uh, I don't know yet. Um, it, it is, uh, clearly, uh, Doppel Cooper communicating something to perhaps Philip Jeffries. Maybe. Uh, but, uh, I don't know a hundred percent. Or closing down. Or th- that's the other thing things. is if, yeah. if we see that, uh, in Dougie turning into that little sphere that now that he's no longer needed, that yeah. this may be him cutting off some line of communication to the Black Lodge. Yeah, ways that he'd be tracked back because he doesn't want to go back. So right. um, you can you can look into that that way as well. Yeah. So again, don't know for sure, but a couple of different ways to read that. And I, I you know, if that's left totally unanswered, I, uh, okay, fine. Um, so the the show ends with Dougie. Dirty. <laughs> Hi. Uh, checking out the statue, but again, we're left with the idea of like, even as we see sort of the rise of Doppel Cooper of now that he's got, uh, you know, the, the original Dougie Jones out of the way and is working on certainly trying to kill the Dougie that's there because he, he probably knows better than anybody that the two of them cannot exist in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's making every attempt he can to try to get Dougie murdered, as we will see in the next episode. And that, yeah, so we see the rise of that kind of evil contrasted with the end of this show, uh, which is just Dougie, uh, just looking up at this kind of lawman statue, yeah. still lost, lost up, up in his head, but kind of somehow closer, it feels like to discovering who he really is. Yeah. So, uh, there Christ. endeth episode five, of which was called case files. <laughs> um, pull out your case files about the black lodge. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you should scan, I'll scan with you. <laughs> I love it. Oh, dear. Oh, that's, yeah. A fucking super strong episode. Once again, Lynch just cinematically teabagging everyone with his superior testicle sack of Twin Peaks. The Twin Peaks tea sack. Yeah, it's, oh man, it's just fucking amazing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and and like, it. I like these pairings because it seems like there's so much setup going on in that one. Yeah. And we start to see some payoffs in this one. 
are yeah, certainly straight, straight into it. Yeah. yeah. I'm Cootie. My name is X. And I'm Chef Al, and we're your hosts on the Kiss the Goat podcast. On our show, we're going to break down some of your favorite devil movies from the past 50 years. We also drink and talk about religion. Which is a terrible idea. That is a great idea. And I'm going to give you some great recipe ideas to go along with the movies that we've been watching. We also answer questions from our listeners on every single episode. And I also frankly discuss my sex life at really inappropriate times. She does! I do! It's the thing! I tell terrible jokes saying when I'm drunk. And I haven't been paid yet. They said they would pay me, and they, uh... Kiss the Goat! Exclusively on the Legion Network of Podcasts. Uh, seriously? Can I get some money? God, just do the job, Al. Alright, Duncan here, uh, at Muppet Labs. Um... <laughs> We strive to bring you only the finest in Twin Peaks entertainment. And I got to tell you, I think this episode is amazing. It's no, Yeah, this one's the test. Really good. It's no episode eight, which gets kind of mind-bending. This is more straight narrative stuff. Yeah, but but in, the, in, in the chronological order of the show, this is the high benchmark for me of this season as far as episode six until we hit episode eight like off the back episode six i was like this show is just mwah, a spicy meatball bowl um oh be, yeah duncan yeah you know what i'm talking about it is the spiciest of meatballs uh a little bit parmesan over the top of that mwah. oh a little mozzarella uh, a little, <laughs> hey get a little meatball know. over here why we were never cast as backup uh, kind of extras for The Sopranos is beyond me. I, I kind of feel like it's HBO's loss, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fortunately, we we've had uh, an opportunity to correct a little history here, but it's not the same. Yeah, um, yeah. Victory is still. I, I like to think that we um, err on the, the the side of the the righteous ball. I think. Uh, history will be our judges, Duncan. <laughs> uh, so, all right, but we start kind of subdued for where we end up in this show. We start kind of low key, which yeah. is with Dougie still at work. Sun's gone down and he's just still staring at, at the statue. Yeah. And uh, so well, we have to pick up here because the end of the last episode was so uncharacteristic for the show, which has finished every episode with a band playing at the Roadhouse. We kind of left Dougie staring at a statue, and I kind of feel like we need to we need to address that right away. What's the show does? Yeah, and and so uh, so a cop kind of comes along and uh, is like, "Hey, man, I I told you you can't stay here all night and just stare at this statue. It's creepy." And well, he doesn't say that, but that's what he means. And uh, finally, he gets Dougie's name out of him, and and Dougie uh, is obsessed with his badge again one of those symbols of the who he was and uh finally he tells the the cop lancelot court red door and the cop's like okay i i we can probably piece this together and he takes dougie with him and and escorts him home and at the dougie cooper household uh sunny jim because everything that takes place in this house happens in the 1950s (laughs) Um, Sonny Jim is upstairs, like reading with a flashlight, uh, Mm -hmm. under the covers. 
and uh, is, is staying up because he wants to to see his dad before he goes to bed. And the the cops show up uh, at the door with with Dougie, and they're like, "Look, this guy doesn't have any ID. He doesn't have any keys on him. We don't know, <laughs> like, other than <laughs> his name and the fact that he ha- lived in a house with a red door on Lancelot Court. This guy's useless to us." And Janie, you know, brings Dougie inside, and they're like, "Hey, by the way, there was this envelope left on the porch. Uh, is this yours?" And she takes it, and, and there's no address or anything on it. It's just a blank envelope. And she's like, oh, okay, well, uh, thanks, officers. And, yeah, this guy's, huh, he's a handful to keep up with. And uh, kind of has them go on their way. And she ends up making sandwiches for uh, the two of them at, or around the table. And finally, Janie is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule you an appointment with the doctor. And tomorrow at lunch, you're going to go see him and get a full checkout because something's wrong with you. <laughs> Can't quite put my finger on it, but yeah, something's a bit off. Dur! Dirk, dirk, I just love this idea of when we're sitting at the table, she's like, you know, I'm just going to make you a sandwich. Something's, something's not quite right. Are you going to be okay? And he's like, dirk. And he turns around, and then turns around like two seconds later, and the whole dining room is in fire. And he's just like, Aah! "Right." <laughs> I, there, there is kind of a, a sweet moment here, though, uh, a, a strangely emotional moment. When I saw it, actually, uh, when she's like, "Hey, what are all these folders that you have anyway?" And he just goes, "Case files." Case files. Yeah, and he keeps case files. It's just like all these little pieces coming to him but there there's something nice about hearing agent cooper say case files uh yeah, yeah it's oh i love the show uh <laughs> so uh and then she's like well what about this other envelope and dougie strangely is quiet mm-hmm. and doesn't really respond and she's like okay just go upstairs and say goodnight to sunny jim and i'll i'll clean everything up and it takes Dougie a second to get to Sonny Jim's room because he's, you know, wandering around <laughs> he upstairs. Walk, he walks past the stairs and she's like, upstairs! Right. <laughs> you know. Soft, gentle moments destroyed. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, we watch this so good in this show. Like, there's a bit later on where <sighs> she's dropping off money and, it, and once again, it, I know I'm going to say this a lot and people are like that. Can't, every scene can't be your favourite scene ever. Kind is my favourite scene. It's fucking... <laughs> It's amazing. It's fantastic. It, it's a great Janie scene for sure. Of, of just like you know, it's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's oh, it's so good. So, um, but all right. So once again, this is another moment where Cooper is kind of drawn to the the innocence of, of uh, this child, and he goes like the kid brings him into the room and has him sit down on the bed, and uh, Dougie is just eating potato chips one at a time because he don't know no Dougie. better. Yeah. And and he tries to give a potato chip to Sonny Jim, and he's like, I've already brushed my teeth. And so he just kind of places it on the blanket between them. Yeah. And, it, I mean, again, it's, you know, it's a real <laughs> dumb thing to do, but it's kind of sweet as well. This is where he finds out the invention of the clapper bowl. Oh. <laughs> yeah, where Sonny Jim's like, okay, can I leave the cowboy light on? And he's like, bah. and. <laughs> So I'll, I'll take that as a yes, father. Um, and so he, he like claps for the light to come on. And, it, you know, Dougie's like, Durr? and 
<laughs> Depart. Yeah. So he claps <laughs> to turn the light back off, and Sonny Jim's like, Dad, and you know, turns it back on, and they're kind of going back and forth where Dougie's just like, there. Dur. This is, this is like sweet, sweet, happy moment that is literally destroyed when the shrill, the shrill voice of JDE comes, Dougie boy, come down here right now. Right. He's like, oh, arr. Dur? And yeah, is drawn downstairs because Janie has opened up this envelope. And inside yeah. is a picture of Dougie with Jay. Jade. Jade. And he smiles <laughs> when he says it, too. Because as yeah. far as Dergie knows, uh, Jade was just this woman who helped him. Yeah, because the greatest line ever in that Stephen Peaks is, she gives two rides. Well, it, it, which was kind of a dumb joke in the episode when, like, she has to drive him to the casino. And she's like, I guess yeah. I'm giving you two rides today. Yeah, but the fact he... <laughs> and And so when he sees this so picture... Good. <laughs> of Jade and Jade and he's smiling and she's like you know this person and he goes Jane give two rides <laughs> and, and like Naomi Watts is just like I bet she does miss does. her <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's so good um <laughs> And so, also, it comes out that he never made the phone call to set up this payoff because, you know, I mean, why would he ever? (laughs) And so, like, Janie's real pissed, but then the phone rings, and she picks it up, and she's like, no, Dougie is indisposed right now. How much does he owe you again? And she has just taken this dude over the coals. Like, you could not, you wouldn't want to be the blackmailer on the other side. Of this oh, conversation. You'd be, you'd be like, at the end of the conversation, you'd be like, I'm really sorry for calling you, but you have a good night now. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm sorry to call so late after dinner. Uh, so, but she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to meet you. And the way she puts it is great. She, I'm going to meet you tomorrow at noon 30 in the park. Get noon 30. <laughs> and, and so she hangs up, you know, sets up this meeting with, uh, with, with the guys that Dougie owes money to. And she turns to him and she says, what a mess you've made of our lives, Dougie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of, again, very, like, Lynch is so good at being able to cull these surprisingly emotional moments out of yeah. scenes that are kind of absurd or funny or whatever, but there's still just a, a grounded emotional hook to it all. Yeah, definitely. Um, but she says, like, now I can't take you to the doctor because I got to go do this. And hey, by the way, where the fuck is your car anyway? Yeah. And by the way, look at all these case files. You cannot afford to lose your job now. So you've got some hard work to do, mister. Yeah. And at the end of it, though, there is still this tender moment where as mad as she is at him when he's sitting down and, you know, case files, she's like, Ugh. and then just kind of kisses the top of his head. Yeah, and it again this nice moment, and and I I think a good, uh, having never been married myself, Duncan, I I do think it's one of those things that you hit in marriages of like I'm so angry at you, but I also love you. Yeah, you know, um, so it's nice. I don't get that. I just get mad at you. Sure. Well, but in fairness, I know you, and <laughs> that's that's the right response. <laughs> I'm kind of on her side. Uh, i'm with her <laughs> yeah i mean can you blame me duncan are you are you telling me that you want me to draw a line in the sand with your wife and say like i am forever on your husband's side 
No, I, I'm I'm with her as well, but <laughs> like, right, we're, we're at the end of the day, we're all on Korean side. Yeah, of course, one hundred percent. This podcast is really just a a, a way to glorify her. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like so we get once again the, the, the kind of somber music kicks in and Dougie starts looking at case files which literally mean nothing to him they're bare again they're bare and, yeah he's just opening them and, um, and he starts doodling all of them drawing sets of stairs going up to circles and, and all the rest and when I originally saw this I thought he was trying to communicate the experience he had in the at the beginning, where like where he was making a transition before he came through the socket of that box in the sky with the ladders that went to it, and I thought that's what he was. Turns out he wasn't doing that <laughs> at all. I thought too much into it, and in the second view of it, just before recording here, I was looking. I was going, "That's ah, a dumb idea, Duncan." That was. I don't even know what made me. Do. I'm trying to look too much into it. Um, but yeah, he draws all. He doodles all over these these things, and that's the end of the scene. Well, then we do get uh, Mike tuning in on on Dougie here. Yes. Where, uh, like, as Dougie's, like, and looking at the case files, he looks over in the corner of the room, staring off into space because, you know, Dougie. Yeah. And, and Mike tunes in a little bit to him, and he's like, you have to remember, wake <laughs> up. Don't die. Don't <laughs> die. Which is great advice any time. Yeah, every time. Thanks, Mike. Right. Which, but for Dougie, not terrible advice at all. Well, no, yeah, it's like don't take a bath with a toaster that's plugged in. You're right. Don't die. Oh, Dougie's a bear. Don't die. Don't die. Don't die. Um. So, but yeah, but you're right. Dougie gets to to work on the case files, but starts to scribble on it because they're going all like a beautiful mind on him. Uh-huh. Uh, where he's just like, oh yeah, I wish I had some yarn and string. Well, huh. and <laughs> uh, but it's just drawing shit on it. And but he he starts like, cre- what I see it as uh, is a step ladder. It's he draws yeah. steps and he draws a ladder, and then there are like scribbly star things beside some names, and he draws lines to other names and blocks of text and stuff. It doesn't yeah. mean anything on on its surface but there's a pattern to it and uh so then duncan Mm -hmm. uh shall we go to a little bar called max von's bar yeah max von's bar which you know lynch you know what you're doing i just think it's like this this nice little nod to max von sido yep which and, I kind of love, but uh, this is a good, once again, this is the greatest scene. I keep saying this, but this is the greatest scene because we get to spend a bit of time with a rather, rather miserable Albert Rosenstall who has one of the greatest lines ever. Uh, yeah. umbrella. So, so it starts in the car when he's on the phone with Gordon. Mid-conversation with Gordon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Gordon's telling him like, this is important and all that stuff. And Albert is like, what are you doing right now, Gordon? And he goes, I'm drinking a fine Bordeaux. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that sounds great. And he's like, you know, it's 34 degrees and raining here. This sucks. And he, so he gets out of the car. He's heading toward the bar. And this is the moment. Do you want to do it? Your your accent's better than mine. <laughs> I don't have to like written down. I just know what he says. Right. The... He goes, 
fuck Gene Kelly, you motherfucker. Because <laughs> he's like, he's got the umbrella up, singing in the rain. You know, like, it's supposed to be all nice and jolly. And he's just so angry. And once again, I love the fact that we're on Showtime so we can get a bit of the swearing now, you know, in the show. Um, and he's just so pissed off. And you just, this is a guy who was always a bit volatile anyway, but kind of awesome, who has just been, it's like 20 seven years since we saw him, who has just been, like, with Cole all the way through it, and Cole has just got him doing some shit. Um, and he walks into this bar, and we, we essentially walk through the bar, and we see this very striking platinum bon- blonde bob haircut from the back. It's a very exotic-looking dress, Bo. Um, and, and I believe... This is where we get to welcome someone to the show. So um, a double welcome to one, the character, the long mythical character, who a lot of people believe did not exist when they watched the original run of the shows. It was maybe just him kind of thinking out loud. And two, a welcome to a long time, long, long time Lynch contributor uh, and a damn fine actress as well, if you ask me. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Laura Dern as As Diane. Diane, Diane as in Diane. Diane Chambers, who was in love with Sam, but it was a real will they, won't they kind of thing. Uh, But it's fun to see her playing that character on this show. Uh, She's so uptight. Um, No, it's obviously, this is is Diane. This is Diane I hold in my hand. You know, uh, a chocolate rabbit. This is, this is Diane. And it's Laura Dern, who, by the way, I think is more beautiful now than she has ever yeah. been. She she is she is an incredible looking woman. Um, and what I love about this is, of of course, the speculation had been when her name was attached to the project. Oh, she's going to be Diane. And even at that point, I was like, that's that's an awesome move. I hope Lynch does that. Still did not set me up for. Although we are only getting a glimpse of her here. The next time we see her, it's kind of amazing. Um, but we only get this, you know, this this very slight glimpse of her here. Um, but it's just like, yeah, yeah, I'd like this is, yeah, you can do no wrong on this show now. Um, uh, to me, if you had any reservations about Twin Peaks at all up to this point, this should just put you at ease. We we are in Lynch territory. This is Lynchlandia, and I am so glad to be here. Um, she's a great actress, and she's done, in my opinion, some of her finest work with Lynch. So. Uh, it, oh. it, felt, it felt good it felt good bull felt we'll, real good we'll certainly get deeper into it in the next episode but she oh. is amazing on this show but in this scene she only has a, a two word line uh, which is after Albert says Diane she turns around and we see it's Laura Dern and she says hello Albert and that's it so you need so good I'm just gonna need a minute Oh, we were saying, well, oh, Billy sorry. Zane, Billy Zane, John Justice Wheeler's on the show. How did he come back? You're supposed to be in Brazil, God damn it! I felt it. <laughs> Even I pull- can't resist Diane. Don't make me bring out the Brimley. Go <laughs> All <ahead>. right, <laughs> knock it off, God damn it! <laughs> God damn it! You go back to Brazil, God damn it! <laughs> me, I got a roasted turkey. <laughs> Killed it myself. Uh, so <laughs> roast the turkey inside a garbage can. Good eating. I, I call it canned turkey. Canned turkey. Go 
coat it with some mayonnaise. Don't matter if it's spoiled or not. God damn it. Um, anyway, so in <laughs> back in Twin Peaks, uh, Richard Horn, uh, who we previously pointed out is a real fucking dick. Um, oh, yeah. So he's hanging out with Balthazar Getty. Yeah, but welcome to the show, Balthazar Getty. Well, we saw him briefly in episode one. Incredibly briefly. Yeah. Like, as just like flash one of those things where you're like, hey, was that Bal- Balthazar Getty? Why is he? Is he lying? <laughs> Anyone? Uh, but, but he's here and they're meeting out at the, I think it's like the sawmill, actually. Yeah, I believe that's It's a right. logging facility. Yeah. Um, they're having this impromptu meeting, and um, our, our buddy uh, Richard Horn has just done a line of drugs. Right. Okay, well, so the it's... money bought him into this meeting with Balthazar Getty. Of like, yes, I'm, this is a meeting to establish a connection between mm-hmm. the drugs Balthazar Getty is bringing in across the Canadian border into Twin Peaks. Again, very Bobby, very uh, yep. Leo Stein kind of story. Here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Drugs are bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, like when I said like earlier on about Lynch using this almost as a Rosetta Stone to all these works, this like there's no way you look at Balthasar Getty and don't think Frank Booth. It he looks like him. It's the same fucking haircut. The conversation is like a muted version of it, but he's like a young Frank Booth here with a little hint, a sousant, if you will, of. <laughs> Um, Nicholas Cage from Wild at Heart with the karate yeah. moves and stuff. Yes, very much so. Very, in fact, I, I didn't even put that together, but you're you're spot on. Um, and we have this really weird scene in that we're left not entirely sure whether or not what we see is the effect of drugs, because no one else seems to react to it, or if this is also Black Lodge magic, bro. It, it seems like there is a little... BLS happening here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because they're... So, Balthazar, Balthazar Getty is doing some karate moves. And then he goes... <laughs> like Johnny Bravo? <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, uh, Hey, man. You ever you, you ever look at your hand? And... <laughs> the Johnny Bravo. That's the most amazing thing ever. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and But he's kind of a threatening dude. And then he just starts stomping on the floor. He goes, hey, man, I've got a problem with my liver. And <laughs> <laughs> that's his voice, though. Uh, that's his voice. Oh, this is the greatest day ever. And uh, then he he suddenly goes, hey, man, you ever see the king and I? And the, the, like, Richard Horn is just like, what the fuck? I don't. Huh? huh? And uh, then he goes, say, you got it under control. And he's like, what are you? I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, look, man, here's the problem. I don't know you yet. And uh, then he's he says, uh, I had to write this down. Um, All right, man. <laughs> you, you just remember this. I will saw your head open and I will eat your brains if you fuck me over. And... Then he does a magic trick question mark. Yeah. This is what you're talking about. Of like, is this drug induced or is this some BLS? Yeah. Cause he, he openly says Richard Horn openly says that, you know, the drugs are, are powerful and of him, but he flips a coin 
up in the air and we see it spin for what can only be described as an unrealistic, knowing physics and gravity, uh, amount of time. But it's like a slower version of the coin spinning. And then we hear the coin like land, that, that noticeable sound of a coin landing. But it's in Robert Horn opens his mouth and it's actually inside his mouth and he holds it. And then we switch back to Balthazar Getty, who then catches the coin, and then we return to looking at Robert Horn's hand, and the coin isn't there to begin with. And the guy in the black background, the kind of black bodyguard guy, is just kind of smiling all the way through it, as if he has not seen what we have seen. Either that, or he's very much aware. Or he's seen it enough times to just be amused by it. Yeah, he's he's nonplussed by it. Um, Say, man, you, you remember me showing you that dime trick? (laughs) <laughs> it's like, but is, what, what is it is it the effect of drugs or is it you know Black Lodge magic BLS we, we, we don't know and the show doesn't to tell us at the moment all we know is Richard Horn is pissed off that he has been made a fool of basically being called little boy he doesn't like any of this um, and it's and hauling leaves, ass away in his yeah. beat, busted up Ford or whatever yeah just leaves muttering in a rage. to himself, yeah. yeah. Just, a, just like so furious about what has happened. It's a weird scene, but I kind of love it. it, it it's real, yeah. It, like this is what people refer to when they say Lynchian, of having yeah. this kind of villainous character that's real scattered and all over the place and this kind of surreal moment with the magic trick. But all of it is feeding to the basic idea of here we have someone who is mysterious, definitely a menace, potentially supernatural and connected to the black lodge. And we have shitball Richard Horn who is trying to make this deal with this crazy dude and is now caught up in that world. Yeah. Uh, And over his head from the start immediately is. Yeah. And so (laughs) welcome to the show. (laughs) Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, and you, you kind of cruel joke about Harry Dean Stanton. I don't like it, Bo. I, I love Harry. Dean. I love Harry Dean Stanton. I he's do a great too. actor. I think uh, once again yes. he's done some of his best stuff with Lynch, and I'm so glad that he's back reprising his role from Firewalk with Me of Carol Rod. Yeah, I just said to you, <laughs> bad man, that Harry Dean Stanton looks like the love child of a scarecrow and an abandoned boot. <laughs> And that also his spirit animal was a mummy. <laughs> You're a bad man. You're going to help. Uh, that he looks yeah. like one of the life force zombies. <laughs> Post face suck. Oh, we should probably take a Now you mentioned that and try to bring us back to a more serious tone. We should probably mentioned that since the last time we recorded we lost um toby hooper a icon of uh, the horror genre uh, director who literally redefined the horror genre with texas chainsaw massacre yep. but i would argue had some some pretty crazy movies out there life force being one that is a massive guilty pleasure for me i, I really really love that movie and <laughs> It's so good, man. It's so, so good. Uh, it's so weird. Um, naked alien space vampires. That's all I need to say. And you're yeah. in. And Patrick Stewart. Number <laughs> oh, one. Number one. <laughs> I'm going to kiss a guy. Um, <laughs> which, which, once again, plays into our portrayal of, of Patrick Stewart 
from early impressions of the show. Oh, right. number one. We, again, world building. Mr. Data. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Space Vampire. Uh, so, uh, our, but yeah, but so we lost him anyway, so yeah, you know, uh, on IP. Absolutely. Much love. Uh, so... Fat tra- Trailer Park showing back up after seeing it in Fire Walk with me. Yeah. Uh, he Harry Dean Stanton, uh, noted undead actor Harry Dean Stanton. Stop being nasty. <laughs> I love him. I'm I'm not criticizing the man. Um, but anyway, so he's he's reprising his role as Carl, and. Uh, so he hitches uh, a ride into town on one of them, like outreach buses that drives out and gets old people and brings them into town, <laughs> so they see what it's like every now and again. Yeah, and and so uh, one of the guys from the uh, trailer park, uh, what is his name? Um, eh, I don't think I put it in my notes. Anyway, so uh, a buddy of his jumps in with him, and they're kind of chatting about. Like, it's tough. There, there's a couple of moments in, in this episode that are sort of like, you can't trust the government sort of moments. And yeah. Th- and this is one where the guy with Carl, uh, the younger guy in the trailer park, is complaining about the fact that, like, his wife was clearly wounded in war, and they've been trying to get a wheelchair uh, for her, but the government's been real stingy with it, and they're finally getting one, and, you know, just kind of having a little chit-chat, and... um it's also where Carl reveals why he takes these daily trips. And he's just like, yeah, I just want to get out. I just want to go into town. And I like to get out of the trailer park. There's and, a great bit as well when he asks him if he wants a smoke. Oh, um, yeah. And it, yeah, yeah, his buddy's like, oh, I quit a year ago. And and, and Harry Dean Stanton, I don't, I don't think this was in the script. I think this is just Harry Dean Stanton. It's just it's fucking brilliant. Where <laughs> it feels ad-libbed. It does really feel ad-libbed. He just kind of chuckles and goes up. Oh, been spoken every goddamn day of my life <laughs> yeah for like 78 70 odd years or yeah. something he says he just he just chuckling away himself he's still here i just i love it i think it's great i think it, yeah it does it just kind of feels like an off the cuff thing the lynch is just like yeah keep it yeah i love it uh <laughs> just like that <laughs> yeah and uh so then all right so then we cut to the double r Yes. Where everyone's favorite character who showed up for one episode at the end of season two. One episode at the end of season two. <laughs> like, literally, this is this is the dedication to continuity, is the, 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 the giggling German exchange server. Uh, it's like, yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Swiss, uh, Miss Swiss Miss, Heidi. Um, yes. She's kind, of, she's kind of giggling with uh, this woman named Miriam, who's a who's local a teacher. teacher. Yeah. yeah, and Miriam is getting some coffee to go, and she leaves this big tip. And when she's gone, Shelley and Heidi are like, "She can't afford this tip. Like, she's got all these money problems." And they're they're talking about like, you know what? Next time we're going to treat her. Yeah, because she she apparently likes more than one slice of pie when she comes in, and she's kind of addicted to enormous pies. Yeah, uh, and they're like, we'll, "We'll buy her one." That's a nice thing to do. And she leaves with a coffee, one regular and one decaf uh, for a colleague, and she's on her way. And we're like, "Her day's going to be awesome." It started the right way. She's had some pie. She's taking coffee for a friend. Uh, she's talking about how much time she's having with all these cute kids at the school. Her day will not be stained. With the blood of innocence, 
No, I get the feeling that the whole show is about to turn around. <laughs> and everything from here on out is going to be smooth sailing. Oh, that's fucking scene, man, honestly. And then we cut to Richard Horn, who uh, has one of my favorite lines in the episode when he is continuing to be angry. And yeah. just yells out, magic motherfucker. Yeah. Magic motherfucker is how I feel about every magician that has ever lived. Yeah. Uh, I don't like it, Duncan. Anyway, so uh, then, all right, so we cut from Richard being all pissed off, driving into town. Then we cut back to Carl, who's on the park bench, again, having a smoke, but just kind of looking up and enjoying the day. Yeah. And then he sees a mom and her son. And they're playing this kind of leapfrog tag thing where like one of them runs and then the other one chases and then the other one runs again and and that kind of thing. And Carl's watching this smile on his face, watching on a beautiful day, seeing a mother and her son play together in the park. Again, the show is turning around. Yeah. Then we cut back to Richard Horn who is not enjoying the fact that he is now stuck in traffic at this intersection, which by the way, is this the one yes. from Firewalk yes. with me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we, this is, I think that's why you get the scene that we get in a minute with the apparition. Yeah. Okay. I think it's because of its proximity to our portal to the black lodge. All right. All right. Perfect. I, I, I was on board with that. And Sp- you're spot on. I think it was filmed in exactly the same location as well. I think that's how far they went to in terms of detail. I mean, it looks just like, like down to the lines on the road and everything. It, yeah. It was, it, it, as soon as I saw it, I was like, that. I think I'm 95% positive that's uh, the same set or same mm-hmm. location. Um, so <sighs> Richard decides he's had enough of traffic. He whips around. And lays on the gas while the light is red. Yeah. And mother and child are still playing this leapfrog game. They look both ways. Yeah. And the kid starts to cross the street. But Richard is barreling down on him. Mm -hmm. And this kid gets fucking smacked. Yeah. It full, is. full on. Yeah, it's brutal. It's a, it's a brutal scene. Yeah, very very jarring to watch, actually. Yeah, it, I mean, it is something. It, it, it's not... It doesn't leer on the moment, but it doesn't look away from it either. And it's, it, leers on the, it leers on the mother's grief afterwards. Uh, I think that's what makes it a more powerful a scene because her wails... Of of agony and pain and grief are it's very uncomfortable to watch. And being a dad now, like scenes like this, like stick with me um, far longer than they used to prior to me becoming a father. Um, and everyone is visibly shaken up by it, obviously. Um, and Harry Harry Dean Stanton, his character Rod, yeah. Rod, Carol, um, Rod's his surname, I think, uh, gets up and you know he starts to walk towards it. We jump back in and we see, obviously, Richard Horn blaming the kid. You know, right? He fucks off. He doesn't hang around for that accident. Yeah, he's. Uh, but he does get spied though, as he's driving past by our school teacher. 
who right. gets a clear look of him in, in the car driving past as she's standing holding the coffee. Well, she's talking about the, the, the cute little kids. This kid's probably in her class. Um, she's probably the teacher of this small child. Um, and the mother is, you know, inconsolable until Carol comes over. Right. Now, Carol at first looks across like from the distance and sees what appears to be a golden light kind of leave the, the kid's body and go up into the air and then disappear. Um, which is weird, Bo, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> sure, That's sure. a bit strange, you know, but once again, we're in a certain area and golden lights will become more, uh, will make more sense after episode eight, obviously. Episode eight being the big one where we're like, oh, gold, right. Um, so, yeah, so this golden light comes out. He comes down and there's something about his presence there that seems to calm the mother down. Um and Harry, his face is oh he's obviously got a, an old face because he's an old guy, but there's something uh, you know just about him being there and the emotion it creates in his face of you know after him joking uh, earlier on about you know taking things that are bad for him and living seventy odd years or whatever, seeing this kid who had his life ahead of him just being mowed down for no reason at all, um. It's a really powerful scene, Bo. It's a real, I think it's a really well done scene. Um, and, you know, it's great to connect back with that character and a place that we know from Firewalk With Me, once again, tying up the, the movie to the show. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, one of those scenes that just kind of hits you. You're like, where did, how did we get here? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, and it ties the, the Fetch Route trailer park much closer to Twin Peaks. Than we thought originally, right. yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, um, a couple of other things about this scene um, that, you know, this again repeats the idea of loss of innocence because, you know, kid getting murdered is the ultimate loss of innocence. But another thing that let me know I've been thinking about Twin Peaks too much is mm-hmm. there's the shot of the uh, electrical lines. Yes. And, and of the, the pole, which notably has the number six on it. Mm-hmm. which is a multiple of three, which is all we've seen on the control panels in all the like black lodge and this existential C. Like there was one of them was six. One of them was 15. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of this matters, but it stuck. I was like, Oh yeah. yeah all right. Well, there's something going on anyway. Um, so yeah. So then we cut from that horribleness and also strange, like bitter, I don't know, bittersweet comfort of, yeah, you know, uh, it's, we, it's weird, it's weird. Yeah, um, there, there, there's a sense of like, you know what, he's he's going to be okay. This like this golden spirit seems positive. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, not the the tortured look of Laura Palmer being hauled out of the Black Lodge oh, and God. screaming <laughs> and stuff. Um, yeah. So then we cut to Vegas. Where the guy from, I think, episode two, the one who told the dude, like, you don't want a guy like that in your life. Um, yes. He is looking at his computer screen, and then this big red block shows up on it. And so he opens a safe, which all of this is some BLS, black blood shit. Yes. So he gets this message on his computer that's just this big red block of color, goes to his safe, removes an envelope. That has nothing on it but this kind of single red dot, and he places it on his desk, and then ultimately it disappears. Yes. So, uh, over at Rancho Rosa, 
<laughs> I mean, that's all that happens in that scene. It's just a, like, somehow or another, somebody is being alerted to do probably some some dark business. Mm-hmm. And, all right, so then we cut to Rancho Rosa, and the cops have, sh- have shown up now, and in a really awesome little touch, they have found Dougie's license plate <laughs> attached to the bumper of the back of his car on the roof. On the roof, yeah. Of the house across the street. And so they're checking all that out. Meanwhile, we, you know, remind everybody that uh, in the drug den. Yay! Uh, right. <laughs> the the mom is still screaming, 119! <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Then we go to another hotel room uh, where there is, uh, in in kind of the Baz terms, a wee fella. Who's the greatest name ever? Do you know what his official name is? Ike the Spike Stadler. Ike the Spike. And what? Oh, Spike seems like quite an interesting nickname. I wonder how he got it. Well, at first we just see him rolling some dice. And recording the result in his dice journal, apparently. Yep. So, a a worthwhile pastime, I'll have you know. Right. And so, he gets an envelope pushed under his door. And his said envelope we saw in the the previous scene. Mm -hmm. He opens it up, and there are two pictures. Uh, One is the the lady we saw at the beginning of the episode. He was like, hey, I'm going to be in some shit. Yeah. Is that Dougie guy still around? Because uh, I kind of need him not to be around. Yeah. And so the other person is Dougie. So he has been contracted, at, like, uh, presumably, none of this is stated, but presumably, he has been contracted to kill both Dougie and the woman who failed to get Dougie murdered the first time. And Ike the Spike, interestingly, Duncan, uh, comes from the fact that he is uh, Jewish. Originally, his name was Ike Spikestein. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> when they came over uh, to the U.S., they shortened it. Um, no, he is called the Spike because he has a custom-made uh, ice pick with kind of a fancy handle. And he takes this ice pick and he drives it into the forehead of the lady who done screwed up. And also into the face of Dougie. Mm. Uh, and and so, yeah, we have Ike the Spike Stadler on the case. <laughs> Yay! I, yeah. I think we're on a safe pair of hands, Bo. Yeah, I mean, if ever there was one. Uh, <laughs> so, so, Dougie's at work. And he's goofing in the elevator again. Uh so, but there, there is one moment where you get this brief electrical buzz. And I, I thought I caught a look of concern. As if yeah. that's still a thing that he recalls. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least that, you know, electricity or that kind of buzz is bad. So he he gets called into his boss's office because Mullins is like, Jones, get in here. And Dougie's like, Thur. And finally <laughs> he's like, Dougie. And he's like, oh, uh, Thur. Uh, and then works his way into Mullins' office. And so the whole time, Tom, Siz- Tom Sizemore is watching this go, go down. Uh, and it is looking kind of concerned about the goings on of Dougie yeah. getting called into the office. And so he uh, Dougie turns over the case files that he was working on, which, you know, as we discussed, have these childish scribbles all over them. 
and Mullins is going through them and he's like, what the, these, what are these, what am I supposed to make of this? And the whole time Dougie's just looking at his poster because apparently Mullins was a boxer back in the day and has a poster yeah, of prize fighter yeah. back, back in the, back in the past. And he, he's looking at him with, with kind of um, the amusement, but he's doing the kind of, he's lifting his hands in the same pose as the, the boxing poster. And um, while he's doing that, Mullins has a Eureka moment. Ah, Eureka. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a real, like, this means something, you know? Yeah. Uh, he starts putting things together, uh, but doesn't give us an answer. He's just like, right, you, Dougie, you keep this between me and you. Don't tell a soul. And Dougie's like, bar, bar, bar. And he's like, you know, let's shake on it. And Dougie can't figure out how to shake hands. He just puts his hand out and starts to turn in a circle. Yeah. Like he does with everything. Uh, Which Mullins finds hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, Dougie, yeah. you're a crack up. But, you yeah, know. He's like, I've given you this critical information that you found out and told you not to tell a soul. And you can't shake my hand. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, this is, this is really important. And he thanks him. You know, yep. for for uncovering whatever it is, so it's it's clearly something shady. Yeah. Um, so then we cut to the park, Duncan. Yes, and, and it, <laughs> a couple of nefarious motherfuckers show up, um, and they've come to get some money from from uh, from M- Mrs. Jones, who Mrs. Jones, uh, who um, who. Opens a turn of how very dare you? <laughs> how very dare you? She basically she the the diatribe is amazing because she starts talking about. She finds it first. She asks what the money was for. He basically gambled, took out some money, put a, a bet on like horses or football or some shit, whatever you Americans gamble on, um, and he doubled down and he, he lost it. So it started off at twenty thousand. Um, and then, uh, with interest, it's now at fifty-two thousand, and she lets him have it, both right in the kisser, verbally speaking, okay. um, where she basically says, "And you know, he's got a family support, and look at the crappy cars we drive around, and you, you expect me to pay this? We're the what the hell of which? Like we're the ninety-nine percent." <laughs> She's just like this huge, like she's like, "Listen, right now, and the bank, I, you know." Uh, deal with they give you one percent on loans and that's all you get an interest and that's listen i will give you 25 percent. you will be happy i will give you twenty five thousand. and she produces it and before she can get the guys actually seem like well you know i mean maybe that's all right maybe we can accept this but she then takes this one and, she, and how dare you take advantage of right just, just rips it at these guys and it is glorious Naomi, Naomi watts I bow to your amazingness on this show. You are like one of the greatest characters that Lynch has ever crafted in Twin Peaks. I fucking love it. Yeah, uh, she's incredible. Uh, and it's worth noting um, one of the guys that is, I can't think of the actor, Jeremy Davies is his He's name. He's been in everything. He's been in everything from Lost through to fucking everything. He had a great run on Justified. Um, yeah, he he's a real quirky kind of actor. But when, like, after Naomi Watts or Janie is like, I'm only going to give you 25% on yeah. this loan because that's way more than we get from our bank. And how dare you? 
and here yeah. it is, and we never want to hear from you again. And uh, like gives them like th- what kind of world are we living in? We are living I in dark, <laughs> dark age. And, <laughs> it's fucking great. And when she leaves, Jeremy Davies is just like tough dame. Yep. And and that's kind of it. Like Janie handles shit. Yeah. What was really funny about this as well is like. 50, we know he won 425,000 that they could have covered to 50 comfortably, and she doubled down to make sure that they don't come back looking for anything else, which I love. Yes, and and there is definitely, I mean, we'll get into it, I think, next episode, but she has, that money means something to her, and and it's not just paying off Dougie Jones' gambling debts, but... All right, so we go from one tough dame, Duncan, to one tough spike. Oh, yeah, and a dame that is running for her life because we hear a scream. This scene, all right, so let's hit the stage because you're you're kind of in, the shot is of an office hallway. Yeah. And you just hear, like you said, someone scream. And then around the corner comes hauling ass. Mm Mm-hmm. Ike, the spike. With a bloody spike, which is slightly bent at the end now. <laughs> yeah, which he's upset about. But he yeah. he rolls through, finds the, the, the woman that's his target, and just, like, there's no pussyfooting around other than when he runs in, she's starting to run in one direction, and he kind of gives her that little juke of, like, all right, which way you going? Which way you going? Yeah. And when she makes for the door, he just runs at her and just starts stabbing her in the chest. Oh, yes. Viciously. Like, knocks her down, stabs her in the chest, straight up murders her in no time at all, savagely. Mm -hmm. Looks over at the doorway where a woman is standing there, like, holding donuts or something. uh, Just, like, happened to be passing by and looked in. And Ike the Spike then hops off the woman he's just murdered and hauls ass again, like, full speed after this lady mm. who is also murdered. And then... No loose ends, bro. No, not with Ike the Spike. <laughs> uh, and he, as you said, at the end of all this, he looks down and his his Spike, uh, his, his nom de Spike, uh, is kind of bent. And yep. he's like, oh... Yeah, Fuck. not happy. Yeah, not pleased at all. But it's it's pretty rocking. Um, that scene, uh, like, it's one of those you almost have to just look it up on YouTube or something if it's you nuts. haven't seen it's. Yeah, it's not spot amazing because it's just the the like ferocity. It's it's like seeing a tiger let loose on something where it's just like running at you, and it's like there's no stopping it. You're not going to reason with him, you know. Yeah. It's just this animal kind of savagery. It's amazing. Uh, and so we get another shot of Richard Horn, who has parked the old 40s in by another old truck and has kind of wiped down the grill. Yeah. So that he's, you know, covering up the fact that he he's, you know, murdered a child. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the sheriff's department. Yeah. And if the episode- pay off something here. Uh, if we weren't, if this episode hadn't already rocked enough, then we're going to get our guitar solo kind of here. <laughs> bow-dy, 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 bow-dy. 
Because, all right, so Hawk is... He is letting his hawk fly in the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, he's, you know, kind of wrapping up his business. And he, he drops a nickel and it rolls under a stall. Yep. And so he goes after it and he picks it up and he realizes that it's uh, it's an Indian nickel. Yeah. And he's like, huh, well, ain't that something? Because I remember Margaret telling me that this had to do with uh, my heritage. Yeah. And then he looks at the door of the stall that he's in and he notices that the stall door is, is manufactured or the stall is manufactured by the Nez Perce manufacturing yes. company, which, which is the tribe. Oh, member. I do remember? from secret history of twin peaks. It's all coming together. This is why I said, read the book motherfucker. Hawk is in fact, uh, of the Nez Perce tribe. Yep. And, so the and Hawk's no dummy. No, when he sees all this come together. It's not like, well, maybe it's something. He's on board. He's like, nope, I I know well, what this is. It helps as well that the 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 metal of the door frame at the top is starting to come away a little bit. So he he recognizes this, gets himself a crowbar as you do, um, and starts dismantling the door as fuck you, Chad comes in uh, with crowbar to him right in the face. Um, Hawk ain't having any of it continues to break it down finds himself a couple of bits of paper wanna take a guess what it is Bo uh, it is in fact the missing pages of the secret diary of Laura Palmer some of them some yes. of them three of yes. the four three of the four and um, but we'll so, get into that next episode but yeah it's it, it's a whole like I, I my favorite moment is when Chad's like I'm gonna tell Sheriff Yeah, and Hawk's <laughs> just like you do that Chad yeah, fucking Chad. You Fuck tell Chad. you tell him what I'm. I'm about to go tell him myself, motherfucker. <laughs> you want to you want to steal my thunder? Go right ahead. You tell him what yeah. I'm doing. You tell him I'm. Let me just tell a you a little story here. One day, the sheriff and this agent guy were trapped across the border in this kind of brothel meets like kind of Vegas joint where people were gambling and they were being attacked. And I threw a fucking machete in the back of a guard. That's right. Threw a machete in the back of the guard. Go for it. Go and, go and speak to him. Go speak to Truman. See what it says. Machete in the back, Chad. Machete in the back. How, how many machetes have you thrown into backs, Chad? My <laughs> guess is zero machetes. <laughs> Fucking Chad. Um, Ugh, the worst yeah. Chad. So so that's, that's a great little reveal. We're looking forward to finding out a bit more about that in the next episode. Well, Where are we going now, Bo? Well, we, we follow Chad kind of. Because he he rolls up into like their super fancy room with the dispatcher and whatnot, and you know he so well Doris uh, I skipped over this but Doris rolls up into the sheriff's department and is still bitching away about you know her dad's Our car dad's and, car yeah and and so Chad is like I wouldn't put up with that shit. And all the, like, the dispatcher lady is, is like, you don't know what you're talking about, Chad. Shut the fuck up. And he uh, he's like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, And she's like, do, do you not know that, uh, sh- you know, she, that they lost their kid? And yeah, fucking Chad. Yeah, makes me hate some so much more. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, he was a soldier who just couldn't hack it. And it's like, oh, Chad. Something bad is going to happen to Chad, and I can't wait to see it. I want a front row seat and popcorn. 
Right. But and it's another one of those things of like, you know, uh, the, the, the Doris hasn't been the same since her child suicide, yeah. which of course. And so you feel bad about kind of hating Doris and now you just, yeah, she's, she's become her. neurotic about things because of what's happened. Small things have become a big deal to her because that's all she's got left. Right. She become one of those control freaks because, well, I mean, it, it psychological thing that happens when when something random and awful happens it you just start to want to control all the details of your life that you can and anyway so um it and it's also another kind of mention like apparently there was some talk of uh the fact that you know he didn't get mental health treatment or something like that and you know kind of another issue of the government sort of fucking people over in this episode to one degree or yeah. another, or certainly Lynch seems to be saying like, Hey, we are not taking our veterans the way we ought to, uh, yeah. with, you know, the, you mention it once it's something uh, you mention it twice. It's a, a real thing. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, uh, and then, uh, Sharon Von Etten plays us out at, uh, the roadhouse. And that is the end of a totally rocking episode six, uh, a totally rocking double bill. Like if we're going on like op- obviously episode one and two were were classes one episode feature length debut episode and then they put out episodes three and four the same way five and six were separated but five and six feels like they could have done exactly the same here and you would have had this really bitching feature length episode it's fucking both of them are great but episode six just feels like. We're we're still going crazy. We still don't know where we're going. There's so much up in the air, but we're we're starting to pick off small answers to things the show's set up. And there's been some great introductions of some fantastic characters. And yeah, we have Diane. We have Diane. What have you got? What have you got, people? We got Diane over here. She's next episode. She's going to be all up in this piece. Mm-hmm. Uh man and it's awesome uh so yeah uh that is uh the lead up the next episode folks is gonna be episode seven and eight and i don't know if you've heard us mention episode eight of uh yeah the returnsies um it is going to be an amazing discussion in terms of how to describe what is happening yeah, it's basically the inner workings of David Lynch's brain manifested on the TV. You want to go inside uh, a, an atomic bomb explosion, folks? Yep. You be yep. here next episode because we're going right in up all up into some nuclear explosions. Yeah, be expected for me and Bo to ask if you've got a light quite a lot. Oh. fucking awesome boss fucking awesome yeah we're gonna go straight up horror movie next episode too so oh yeah fill on fill on david lynch brings the horror oh man all right uh folks thank you as always for uh listening um to uh you know uh one of probably the finest podcasts ever recorded i would say so um and if you would if you enjoy the show leave us a rating and review on whatever platform it is that you receive the show on. Also, most importantly, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and someone is getting into Twin Peaks or just wants to hear people do dumb impressions and whatnot, uh, <laughs> then let them know that this show exists and we would love it if they would listen as well. Uh, Duncan, what else would you like to pimp before we get out of here? 
uh, just a podcast under the stairs, just turned four years old. And we are continuing our run of the top 10 shows. We're kind of close to the end now. And by the time this episode comes out, you will have an episode looking at 1976 and potentially uh, a, a very short wait until you hear 1977. Both are coming out in the same week. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And as always, thanks very much for the love and support on this show. We're having a blast. We hope you are as well. Absolutely. Uh, and you can check out this show and many, many more over at legionpodcasts.com, uh, where, where things continue to get uh, exciting and surreal and wonderful, just like Twin Peaks itself. Um, so for myself and Duncan, good night, everybody. Bye. Why did I like that? But it sounded funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It sounded like you were a bird about to take flight. <laughs> Into